It's time to turn off the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode I delve in the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you made a horror movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you take a fighting game, throw all resemblance to the game's lore out the window, and add one Raul Julia? Why you get Street Fighter. Wow, that's a lot shorter than I remember it being. Hey, welcome to an episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. Uh, this happens every once in a while where the games, not the games, I got game on the brain because of this goddamn movie, but uh, the theme tends to be a little bit shorter than it needs to be. And this one literally is like the like 15 seconds. It just, it starts right when, you know, all the little fucking like 30 minutes of all the different companies that worked on it. And then all of a sudden it starts in there and dun, 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 and then gives you, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Raul Julia, and then Street Fighter and right into the fucking movie. So, hey, welcome. <laughs> That's all I'm really trying to say. And, uh, man, I know the intro always says horror and I stray from it every now and then. And this is definitely me straying from horror. But I've always wanted to talk about this movie and do this movie. In fact, uh, when, uh, you know, Paranormal Pat, he came and he's like, man, you're doing Street Fighter. I really need to be on that episode. And then he wasn't able to do it. We almost made it work. And uh, I ended up not being able to get him on. But we may be getting him on soon uh, for another thing that we're doing. So it should be a lot of fun, uh, as well as maybe getting some other guests on in the future. Especially now, since I've joined the Slightly Irregular Podcast Network, uh, you might see a bunch of those guys come on a couple episodes uh, when I can get things to work as well as I want them to work. There's going to be something new that I'm going to be trying soon. I think it'll work good, especially for the way that this podcast does its stuff. Uh, But we're definitely going to have to see what goes on and how everything pans out. So hopefully... Uh, we'll get a bunch of guests on here and we'll be able to do maybe more guest type episodes as we move the podcast along as now, you know, we're in season five and maybe I've had six people on (laughs) out of over a hundred episodes. So maybe it's about time I extend the olive branch out to other people that have never been on the show before. So, (laughs) woo! Uh, there's a time for everything, isn't there? But anyway, Street Fighter. So the main reason I want to talk about this movie is because it's going to lead into the other two movies. And I want to get you guys prepared for something that is... So there's three movies, right, in total that we're going to talk about. Two are connected, and I bet you you know which two they are, but we'll leave that as a surprise when it happens. But this is the one I want to talk about because they each come in different sections to me. There is the so bad it's good but doesn't pay attention to the the lore whatsoever and that is this movie that is this street fighter if you had never seen street fighter before 
if you had never played the games before, if you don't know anything about Street Fighter lore, if you're asking yourself, what is a Street Fighter? This is not a movie that's going to solve it for you because they try to do like mixing in these like <laughs> character narratives that they're creating for all of these characters. Like, oh, this is how this happened and this is how this happened. And it has nothing to do with the whole fucking franchise other than the names of the fucking characters. You could stick anybody else in there and it would just be like, whatever, you could fucking call this Time Killers the game. And you'd be like, okay, this makes sense for fucking Time Killers, right? But even though that's just a spinoff of the Mortal Kombat series, that really wasn't a spinoff of the Mortal Kombat series. It came out actually as a response to Street Fighter with the violence because it used the sprite animation rather than using what Mortal Kombat used, which were digitized sprites. But nonetheless, I don't want to get into fucking Time Killers because that's Time Killers and we're talking about fucking Street Fighter. So... With this movie, it's the movie that is, to me, it's a so bad it's good movie because it's really fucking bad. I, I don't care, but I get so much joy out like watching this movie. And, and it's for one reason and one reason only. If you've never seen this movie, you should really stop and watch this movie. And it's for Raul Julia. Uh, if you don't know who that is, and if I'm saving his name wrong, Raul Julia... Uh, probably is more closer, but I've always grown up with it hearing from people saying Julia, 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 and it's probably Raul Julia. Uh, if you're trying to be a little more uh, authentic or ethnic, if you would say, which is probably a terrible word to say with it, uh, especially considering what I am. <laughs> well, it's only half of me, so I'm speaking from the white half. Uh, but <laughs> it's really for him. Like, if you haven't seen this movie, I would say stop it. Go watch it. I don't, you know, even if you had no interest, I would still say maybe you should. Because it's just, there are so many things that happen in this movie that are sight gags. And that if you did enjoy the franchise, there's a lot of little Easter eggs that they put in there, which are all pretty good for the most part. Uh, at least on that front, <laughs> the Easter eggs are fine. But there are some, like, things that happen in, in the movie that I feel like you do need to see. Especially when it comes to the action sequences. Because, honestly, those aren't that bad. They could be better. They're still pretty bad. But they're better than they should be. Right? For this type of movie. And then you just... You have to see Van Damme as fucking Guile. And just the way that he is. And the way that he acts in this movie. And this is definitely, I believe, in the height of Van Damness, you know, when we got all these fucking Van Damme movies that were coming out, you know, Time Cop and um, that other Van Damme movie that I can't fucking remember. Oh, and then there was that one where he was using nothing but kicks and the other one where he was using nothing but kicks. Oh, Bloodsport. That's another one that I could have named uh, with the Kumite. But, <laughs> but really, though, this is kind of like the height of him and to use him as Guile is so weird, especially when you realize... If you didn't know already, he's fucking French. So you have a Frenchie that, you know, is playing uh, an American badass, supposedly. Um, it's just weird. And especially, you, you'll hear, you'll hear. But to see Raul do his work in this movie is just, like, he is on. He is on such another level than everybody else in this movie. It is ridiculous that he took this role... Like, he's having fun. And you can see, yes, this is his very last movie. And you can see that he's not looking that well. But the fact that he plays Bison the way that he plays Bison, it's so fucking amazing. 
It's worth it. It's worth your time just to see him play the role and then come back to the podcast and kind of go along with me because there's a lot of facial expressions that he makes that I'm not going to really talk about as we go through here. And one of my favorite scenes that we are going to go through, well, there's two scenes that are fucking phenomenal, but the one where one of the biggest memes from this movie comes from, there's a thing that he does when he's talking to Sisagat and it's so ridiculous to see him do it and say the lion is well worth it. It's worth it like 300% to just make sure that you see that little scene that's going on there. So that's going to be the warning from now on. So, But if you just want to listen to it and decide, should I watch this? Because you know what? It's not really my bag and horror is really you know, the thing I want to listen to here on the pod. Go ahead, go through it. I'm okay with that. You know, you can join along. But I really do feel like the next three movies are movies that you should see uh, when it comes to this and the way that I'm going to talk about everything that's going on. So him him alone, okay, like I said, I could go off on it for a long time. And I'm probably going to gush a lot when his scenes come up because literally scene stealer for every fucking moment. But nonetheless, the the way they do the characters in this film, again, it's just... It's terrible. They're not really relatable. They're kind of put into their positions. But then they're all weird. And different people do different things at different times. And some of the stuff is so ridiculous and over the top that you're just like, why did you change it this much? There's maybe one character that I can think about that may have actually kind of fit the mold. Uh, it's just weird. And then they base it all in Shadowloo, which is this like... Taiwanese type of country, like, not Taiwanese, uh, it's it's like Thailand. That's basically, or it's Malaysia, if you really want to say that. It's kind of like in between them both. and But it's its own fucking country that this is all happening in. But Shadow Lu is actually the name of the organization that M. Bison, uh, and if my Street Luck Fighter lore is totally wrong because it's changed over the years, please excuse me, I'm just going by memory. From what I know and what I remember with Street Fighter. And if you want to see a good Street Fighter movie that's from this time. Watch Street Fighter the animated movie. The fight between Chun-Li and Vega in that movie is fucking phenomenal for an animated movie. And it follows the actual lore of the series rather well. There also was a series that was made, I believe, after this movie came out. There was an American animated series that was more like this movie. It still included some stuff from the, the actual games, but Guile was like your main focus of that series. So that's how you know it was like an American done thing. But at least they didn't make Blanco what he was. Okay, I don't want to go too much because we already start talking about but um where was I here? Well, <laughs> it's the characters. Uh, so it's just, they're kind of all over the place. Now, the other two movies that we're going to do, you'll hear about the other one on the end. One is, it's a so bad it's good, but follows the source material close enough, right? To where it's almost like the actual game. And then one where it's just, to me, fucking the worst fucking thing that I could possibly fucking watch. And they just chat over everything they did from, you know, the previous movie. I'll just say that. And we know where we're going. I know some other people feel differently than me. And I know who I'm talking to directly right now. But that one's going to be a little bit of a chore for me to get through once again. But I love the other movie. Uh, the next one we're going to do next. So, And yes, there is a little bit of bias. But we'll try to keep uh, it as bias free as possible. Especially here. Except for when it comes to Rahulia. Um, we're going to keep it just the way that it is. 
uh, here. I'm going to be biased as fuck when it comes to that. <laughs> uh, so, Street Fighter. Now, this movie is based actually around Super Street Fighter 2, right? Because it includes all of the characters from Super Street Fighter 2 to Super Street Fighter. It really has some, you know, a lot of people, when they think Street Fighter, they don't necessarily, in terms of the arcade games, they don't necessarily think about the original Street Fighter, which is pretty terrible, to be honest with you. It's a fun game, but it's so difficult to pull off any of the goddamn moves. If you can pull off a Hadouken, or the Whirlwind Kick, or the Shoryuken, um, peace be with you, man, because it's almost impossible. And that was actually ported onto the TurboGrafx-16 CD, I believe, um, or the Mega Drive CD. Now, Street Fighter 2 was an arcade phenomenon. And basically, growing up, there were two games that everybody played. Uh, and one was Street Fighter 2, and then the other one was the other movie we're going to talk about at the end of it. Those are like the most popular ones that you would go to when you went to an arcade. The first Street Fighter 2 was relatively well-balanced, with a couple of characters being uh, a little, how should I say, extra when it came to playing them like you could definitely tell what the power characters were but it was like half the roster where there were maybe like two or three that were really kind of just like okay and i'm kind of looking at you dalsim and i'm looking at you Honda, and kind of blanca not totally uh and maybe zangief too for some because he's slow but powerful but man you get that fucking 360 whirlwind drop on somebody it's fucking fantastic when you can actually pull it off and then came championship edition where there were the four bosses that were added to the roster now i have to say this a little bit and i want to do a little bit of street fighter lore and i'm going to try to talk about characters as they come up in the film but this is something uh, that I feel is pretty interesting if you don't know this already. But the final four guys that you fight, they actually had to shift some of the names around. Because you see the boxer that the U.S. knows as Balrog, and in other places they might know him as Balrog as well, was actually M. Bison. Right? And Because he looks a lot like Mike Tyson. Right? So they called him Bison in Japan. Nobody in Japan's going to do anything about it. But you come to the States, Mike sees that, oh God, look, it's exactly me. He goes to Japan and he punches somebody right in the fucking face, kills him. Then Mike Tyson's going away for life because he killed a guy in Japan because somebody used his similar name, you know, in a video game. So they decided to move it away and they swapped him uh, with uh, who was Vega in the original. And that's M. Bison. And then M. Bison's name were, were, was Vega went to actual Vega, who was Balrog. Sagat was the only one that got to keep his name because, well, hell, it's Sagat, and Sagat's actually pretty cool. And he was the main villain from the very first Street Fighter game, right? That's why he has a scar on his chest, or at least he's supposed to. And I don't remember, I mean, I didn't pay attention to the guy in this one if he had a giant scar on when his shirt came off, because he doesn't seem like he did, but it seems like he got like a bruise or something when something happens to him later in the film. He's also not super tall. Like, Vega seems like he's taller than him in this movie, and Sagat's supposed to be close to seven feet, I think. Like, he's really fucking tall. At least he's way taller than fucking Ryu is. And again, and I grew up doing it too, and maybe this is just me in the back of my mind and, and kind of learning some things in Japanese and the way that you say certain things. But Ryu is Ryu, you know, right? Here in the States, it's always Ryu, and they do that here in the movie. 
But to me, it's always the you, the you, the you, the you, the you. Uh, it's very kind of like one of those things. Even growing up to me when I was a little kid, I'd always say Ryu because what does R-Y-U really mean to you? But nonetheless, uh, I won't get too much into it because we're gonna, we'll talk a little bit about backstories if I can on certain characters, but at least the ones that piss me off in this movie. Because Guile, mm, okay, it's good enough for me, right? But other characters, not so much. Cammy, same thing. T-Hawk... Uh, I can give it, take it or leave it, honestly. Uh, but there's just the characters in here. And the only one, like I said, the only two that, in terms of this movie, that honestly should really matter on what everything is, is Guile and M. Bison, right? They should be, if you're going to make these two the main characters, at least kind of get their stories the same. And like I was tangenting off a long time ago, uh, since we're in the country of Shadowloo and not just talking about the organization that drives me crazy with this too but nonetheless so you have basically every character in some way shape or form from super street fighter 2 is in this movie and it like i said it doesn't reach back and maybe it does and and i should say there is one omission but i think he's replaced with somebody else and fuck it, that's Fei Long, and that's what I'm going to fucking call him for the rest of the goddamn movie. But he's actually not really represented in this movie. Maybe because he was kind of like a Bruce Lee ripoff, and they didn't want to put that type of character into an American movie. Uh, instead of just using where everybody else was kind of like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, they already fucked up one character like beyond belief. And it, let's just omit this one, because why the hell not? So... So before we completely carry on, I do really fast just want to go through the like a paragraph of the story, quote unquote story for Street Fighter 2. Now, there are so many games and the story is so complicated, but this is just kind of the base thing of whatever's going because I want you to know, and when you're going into this movie, you're gonna see how different everything is. And like I said, we'll try to get into the characters, and I really don't want to make this a super long episode. But be warned that it might turn into that if I start ranting on shit or if I start getting into more like Street Fighter lore. I'm sure there's more people that know a lot more things than I do. And great, please educate me some and tell me what I got wrong. But I'm just kind of going to go through like this couple little quick things here and there. So Street Fighter 2 basically, Bison, he's back in charge of everything and he holds a World Warrior tournament, inviting the greatest fighters from around the world. Not only does he plan to use the combatants as brainwashed soldiers in his plan for world domination, but he's also attempting to draw out Akuma from hiding so he can experiment on him. This proves to be an un his undoing. Okay, so despite being the most popular entry in the franchise, little is known which actually kind of goes on with this like who actually wins the tournament all that known is that akuma eventually attacks bison and seemingly kills him for good while his raging demon attack which literally kills souls and akuma was somebody that didn't that kind of came around in a later version of super street fighter 2 but in terms of the storyline and you can kind of take akuma out of this because he really wasn't around, you know, back when Street Fighter 2 was released. Maybe they were thinking of something about him. Because he think he, in Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo Edition, Super Turbo Hyper Charge, Gonna Kill Em All Edition, whatever the one it's fucking called. I think that's where Akuma actually fucking shows up for the very first time. But basically, Bison's holding a tournament to bring out Akuma 
And it been, tends to be his undoing. But of course, Bison never really fucking dies. And he's back in almost every fucking game. But he's basically, you know, he's around for everything. And for almost every fucking Street Fighter there is. Now, let's go ahead and just kind of get into our story and intro into this movie. And you can see where things are kind of going in the film. And basically kind of where we're going to end up right away. This is Sander Van Oker, and this is the GNT World News. After seven months of fighting, the civil war in Shadaloo may have reached the turning point. The capital has just fallen. This is Chun Li Zan with GNT News. AN forces are consolidating their hold on Shadaloo City today after a night of skirmishing that secured this key Southeast Asian port. But these soldiers aren't celebrating just yet. They know that defeating the ragtag city militia is one thing. Defeating the heavily armed forces of General M. Bison is quite another. The Allied Nations forces know that they are dealing with a power-mad dictator. A dictator whose drug money has equipped his army with high-tech weaponry which some intelligence experts fear is equal to anything in the industrialized world. It's been only 24 hours since this dangerous and unpredictable warlord seized 63 Allied Nations relief workers from a village north of here. This self-styled general's ransom demand an astonishing $20 billion. Meanwhile, the location of the 63 hostages remains unknown. Of the 15 Allied Nations troops assigned to guard the missing relief workers, 12 are confirmed dead and 3 are missing. Their whereabouts? Also unknown. Hostage pit closing. You came from across the world to fight me, soldier. Stand clear. Now is your chance. Okay, so right away, not too bad with Bison's story, right? We get his background here. Instead of him being kind of this shadowy figure over this, like, shadowy organization. I know there's a lot of shadows, but, you know, Psycho Crusher attack and everything like that. Uh, he... He basically is a warlord, right? So he's here. He's captured a bunch of relief people. Uh, he's got his super secret base somewhere in Shadaloo in this country that they've made up. Or that they've turned his organization into. They just made it a giant fucking country. And there's, you know, he's basically demanding money so that he can become even stronger and a little more legitimate. That's great. And you know what? That brings it. And you get a really good introduction to M. Bison in this, right? He, and no, I'm not trying to act like Ming-Na right now. And it's funny because this has to be her first, like, English-speaking role. And I'm not knocking her. I don't want anybody to think, ooh, you know what he's talking about in this way. No, 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 no. She just speaks in this, I'm reading 
a teleprompter type way. Like, I can't keep up with everything that's going on. I'm not able to talk as fast in certain sections. She's just really, like, spaced. Like, she's trying to think through exactly what she's going to say. She's not completely terrible, but she's pretty terrible at the same time. And it's funny because she becomes like a... Or she has become a great actress in her own regard in a bunch of films. And she's... Honestly, one of my favorites about the Final Fantasy Spirits Within movie, uh, that's another movie I like uh, that I probably shouldn't like because it is pretty terrible as well. But I've always really enjoyed that film and maybe it's just because the animation, even though nothing in it makes any fucking sense. And it's probably because it's just fucking Final Fantasy and we know me in Final Fantasy games. God damn it. <laughs> I'm never going to shake that. So uh, it, it's... It's not a bad backstory is all I'm really trying to say. You have Bison. You get a great introduction to him when he's got all the soldiers there. And they're coming at him. And he's basically like, look, he came to fight me. Come on, fight me. And the first guy breaks his fucking neck. Second guy breaks his fucking neck. Third guy, well, he gets interrupted because the news on the screen keeps playing. And that's where our main protagonist shows up. And, uh, yeah. We'll talk about it afterwards. Colonel Guile! Colonel Guile, Chung Lee Zan, GNT News. May we speak to you, sir, please? No. But don't you want to speak to the world often? No. But I do want to talk to someone. That bastard bison! I know you like to look at yourself on television, you sick son of a bitch. So look at this. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? DJ. Break it. Now! You want me on TV? I'm on TV now. Leave it! What the hell? Balrog! Balrog! Do you believe this? Believe this, Honda. Man, I'm shooting it. Colonel Guile! Greeting! He took the bait. Press that signal. Stop! Why do you address a fellow warrior with such disrespect? Warrior, you, how many doctors and nurses have you killed this week? How many children have you orphaned? You will choke on those words, Guile. Anytime, dickhead. We'll go worldwide, just like now. General, they're tracing this. You think you're so clever, Guile. Think about this. You have three days. If my $20 billion are not delivered by then, the hostages will die, and the world will hold you responsible. Victory! You hostages, if you can hear me, we're coming! We're coming! Okay, Um, there might have been some of my laughing that mixed in there, I don't know. Uh, but we'll find out, I guess, when we go back and we listen to it. But nonetheless, so here's our introduction to uh, Guile. And I guess he was Mr. Worldwide before Pitbull was because he's taking the shit worldwide, as he's saying. <laughs> it's really fucking terrible, but that's the way it is. And that's fucking me. Um, <laughs> uh, laughing at my own jokes. Um, but nonetheless, Van Damme. Um, you want to talk about somebody whose accent uh, did not go away at all during this fucking filming in this movie, who's supposed to be an American, who they probably just said, man, can you do an American accent? And he was like, 
But why should I do an American accent? And, and then why is my French accent so terrible? Oh, because somebody's pretending to be me. Uh, but he just said, no. And they were like, okay, well, can you at least act American? He's like, hell yeah. How about I flux my fucking guns? And when Bison comes and tries to talk to me, I'm like, boom, sun's out, guns out, bitches. How about we do this now? It's so ridiculous because the first time he's just like, I know you like to show off. Well, how about Z's? And then he fucking flexes and hits his arm for the fucking camera, just pounding those fucking French muscles that he's got. But he's not known as a puncher. He's a fucking kickboxer. That's what he fucking is. You know, it's so ridiculous that this is your first intro to Guile. Now... Cocky son of a bitch, military guy, wants to beat the shit out of M. Bison. You know what? Fine. Totally okay with that for Guile. Totally. And Chun-Li here, she's basically a reporter. Which is fine, because, you know, they do kind of mesh the story of Chun-Li. They mix it up a little bit. It's, if you know Chun-Li, the reason that she's going after Bison, and she is going after him specifically, is because... He killed her master, right? And that's basically it. And M. Bison killed Charlie, who was the friend of Guile, who shows up in the uh, Street Fighter Alpha series, and I believe he shows up much later on in the Street Fighter series. And so what you get right there is you see Charlie with Bison, and he's kidnapped him, and so he's going after Bison to kick his ass and to get Charlie and free Charlie. And you learn that Charlie's last name is fucking Blanca. Charlie Blanca. Are you fucking kidding me? This this is the worst fucking thing. I understand the whole Charlie thing. And capturing Charlie. And torturing Charlie. And doing all these other things to fucking Charlie. But why do we have him as a goddamn soldier when he's an orphan fucking Brazilian kid that is just weird. That somehow has these powers of electricity and... It's it's just, he lives in fucking Brazil. Or, as the game puts it, Brazil. You know, <laughs> that's where he's fucking from. Here, he's just another fucking soldier who is friends with fucking Guile. Like, they're following that storyline, and they're gonna do some Clockwork Orange bullshit with him and try to turn him into what we know as Blanca. And we are definitely talking about Blanca a little bit later on. But that's where, like, I I'm totally confused on what they do for these characters, right? And why they had to change it, like, so much. You can do the Charlie thing. Okay, I get it. It might be hard to bring Blanca into this whole thing because how do you bring this guy that just randomly Brazil if you're not going to be going around the world doing a Street Fighter tournament? And I don't know why we needed to do this whole thing of and Bison is a warlord, which I guess, if you need to change things around, it's okay, but... You could have done the whole thing with the tournament or just kind of followed a little bit of the Japanese like lore for the game. It wouldn't have been that bad. Do you think Americans couldn't really handle it because Guile is not the main character of the movie and we have to have an American fucking person be the guy that's the main guy because it's American fucking cinema? You don't fucking need it. You know, that's one of the nice things about like the way that we do things or just 
that, that people that really love film don't fucking care about is where their main protagonist is focused. And maybe that was the thing that they felt like they needed to do to get certain people into the streets. But if you, not the streets, but the seats, yeah, they're going to get them into the streets. So they start fighting people, create their own fucking tournament here in America. And then all of a sudden the real M. Bison's going to show up and somebody's going to get their ass kicked. But nonetheless, if you really love Street Fighter, you had your favorite character. And honestly, for me going into this movie, it was just about seeing the characters on the screen. I was a teenager when this came out. You know, it's it's one of those movies where it was just like, man, it's like the Super Mario Brothers movie, right? I just get to see Mario and Luigi on the screen. Or it's like how, you know, Jason Mewes, when I listened to him and uh, Kevin Smith talk about Batman versus Superman... And there's the, I, my mind's blanking on what they are, but the when Batman goes into the uh, past and sees what's going on, and he sees those flying things up in the air, and he's like, I got to see those on screen. Doesn't matter if the other shit's bad. I got to see that for the very first time. They've never done that. They've never even tried to do that. And that's kind of the way that, like the Super Mario Brothers movie is. Is it terrible? Yes. Uh, would I watch it? Like, freely nowadays? Probably not, because the Goombas are not fucking Goombas. But still, I got to see Mario and Luigi in a movie, on the big screen. And it's just like this. I want to see Ryu and Ken on the big screen, because those were my favorite characters. Not just because of what they could do, and it's iconic with the fireball and, you know, the, the Hadouken, and everything like that. But just because those are the characters that I would choose. I would also choose Guile a lot, too, if I played. Because Guile's moves were easy. But Ken and Ryu, you know, basically palette swaps of each other. With a little differences here and there. But they were the ones that were the most fun to play out of everybody that was there. You know, Chun-Li's okay. E-Honda I could throw a fucking stick at. Same thing with Blanca. Uh, but I end up liking Blanca a lot later on when the speed of it changed and the kind of comboed stuff, but nonetheless, need to segue away from that. But that was what I was here for, was to see these characters on the screen. And so far, everybody but fucking Blanca is represented somewhat well, at least in line to where they could be when you saw them, right? And and even though I spoke a little early about Chun-Li, she's relatively handled well. Now... From here on out, everything is kind of fucking suspect. So, uh, how about we go to our next cast of characters? You see, from here after this, and they're not able to, you know, to tag where he's at, because M. Bison's too fucking smart for them, which was really good, too. They made it so that he wasn't a fucking idiot. And he maybe he was a little prideful, and he was silly in some ways, and, and that's something definitely we're going to talk about as well. But for the most part, he was... A relatively smart, like, they gave him the respect that he should have had for this movie. It's just not all of it <laughs> works when I, when you go with it. So, we go and we actually see Ken and Ryu, and they're walking into, like, a fighting den in Shadowloo. And we see that Vegas fighting in there. And he's the other character that I think actually gets, because you don't really get anything else about him, except for he's a cage fighter, he still wears the mask, he's Latin American... Uh, at least he looks it, and he has the claw. And that's all I really know about Vega. I'm sure there's a lot more that's about him, but if you're just looking at Street Fighter 2, perfect. He's just one of the, the goons that you gotta beat. You gotta beat Balrog first, then you gotta buy, beat Vega, then you gotta beat Sagat, and then you get to M. Bison, right? 
Perfect. So, but this time, Vega works for Sagat, and Sagat happens to be a gunrunner, which is weird, but he's a gunrunner for M. Bison. Okay, so he still kind of works for M. Bison, so I'm okay with everything so far. But there isn't the history between one of the next two characters that they decide to introduce who happen to be hustlers. Instead of the regular backstory, which, you know, that one of them's basically training to become stronger and fight the demon that's also part of Akuma's, like, demon rush or demon rage attacks that's built inside of his body. Like, he just has the trade for it. And one of his best friends who also trained with him in the same thing from the U.S., trying to prove himself to be one of the best fighters in the world. Instead, there are hustler ammunitions runners. And here, listen to the mess they get in with Sagat. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, Sagat. Quite a party. Didn't anyone tell you there's a curfew? In Shadaloo City, no one tells me anything. There is a 7 p.m. curfew in Shadaloo City. May I offer you a drink or anything else? Let's skip the mismanners and get down to business. Mm. Do you have the hundred thousand dollars? Do you have the weapons? They're hidden. When we get outside without money, we'll call you on this, tell you where your guns are. Do we have a deal or not? You need the cigar. Oh, no. I already know that the weapons are on the pier behind the Malpraiser Brewery. In fact, my men have already unloaded the truck and brought the weapons here. What's the matter, gentlemen? Surely you're not afraid of your own weapons. Preto! Sanubo! Papu! Toys! I like my games live. And in living color! Do what you want to do in living color. Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to get to that. Maybe it's the wrong in living color I should be talking about either. But so this is just really ridiculous. One, and then this scene kind of encapsulates my love hate of this movie. Like they try to be relatively serious. You can be kind of serious with a little lightheartedness, but they go over into like the slapsticky nature. And there's one fucking scene in this movie that I know a lot of people like that I cannot fucking stand because just of everything that's going on and then it has to turn into that. It just gets fucking annoying and we'll get into it. I know I'm trying to save myself for those like ragey moments I have in this movie, but this is one of them. Right? Like, they're using toy guns. And then they use the sound effects that it's just... I get it. You're trying to show that, look, here we go. Pop, 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 pop. They shoot them with the little balls after they load everything. And everything's getting kind of really, really fucking serious because Sagat is there. And he's gonna fucking, like, shoot them up with the whole situation. And then it turns out that they just have toy guns. Okay, but it doesn't have to be, like, super cartoony. You could have just done something else, like an airsoft rifle or some shit... 
I know what they're trying to do with the rest of this movie. And they're trying to appeal to a little bit of a younger audience so they don't go super hardcore. And they use every once in a while words that are bad like dickhead and that son of a bitch. And all that stuff, you know, for back when in 94 that this was considered fucking edgy and shit like that. But at the same time, if you're going to do things like that and say things like that, why do you make some of these things like so fucking corny? Why don't you just play it fucking serious? Like, get them in this situation. You, They've got fake guns. And instead, have it be, you know, a light rifle or something. Something that's related to Capcom, even. they got tons of light gun games. Make them fucking light guns. Just do something different. Don't just try to stay down this, like, cutesy little path to make people laugh and to maybe make the parents that are taking their sons to go see this, and in in some cases their daughters, but I would say back then this is definitely something that's geared more towards boys, even though I kind of hate to say that. Uh, but it truly is one of those things, but I'm pretty sure that, (laughs) you know, 90s girls probably also really enjoyed this as well, Uh, but it didn't... (sighs) It's it's just so fucking cheesy that why like like I said you can make something dramatic yet comedic like it was trying to do what the Marvel movies do nowadays right like I see there are some goofy things but they're not completely played off as goofy because it's still a lot of stuff at stake and maybe you just have a wisecracking character and you're used to that type of character from the comic books you're used to the Tony Stark and they got Tony Stark's type of, you know, mannerisms and the way that he specifically speaks. And and they really tried to fine-tune that character. But you really have nothing for these guys. You're building everybody in your movie from scratch for the purposes of your movie. Not the purposes of what's already established, but what you have. And you're going to do these cheesy fucking things in this, like, underground fight club type thing. And it breaks out into a decent action scene where they're kicking the ass of everybody. But you don't know why they're doing this. You know, you don't know anything else other than they're just fucking, you know, trying to get the money and trying to hustle people out of whatever they need and get the fuck out of there and be done with it. There is no good backstory to these two characters to whom I really love. Like, I like the storylines that have been set for these two characters. And even back then, it still wasn't the same thing. You knew that they practiced together. You knew that Shen Long was their master, even though it was a typo in the American like release of the game. You had all these things. You knew they were martial arts masters. And yet, here they are. They fucking run guns and lie to people about fake guns that they run it's just it's not it's not right with the source material Ryu beat the shit out of Sagat and that's how he won the first fucking tournament and because he was able to pull off the Shoryuken he left a scar on his chest from the last fight that they have so when Ryu shows up in this place Sagat would be like kill that motherfucker that's what he did or he wants to beat his fucking ass and you don't even have the decency to do anything that there isn't anything between them other than now you're creating it in this because he's tried to sell him fake fucking guns it's just it's so fucking ridiculous and I could just keep going off about this but we'll we'll fucking move on with the way the rest of everything's going so from here we go over and we cut real fast and we're going to be introduced to Dr. Dalsim. The most wasted character 
out of everything. Now, I get it. You can't do him. It's not a fighting game. He's not going to have his, like, stretchy fucking arms and legs that he uses from his years of, you know, his religion. Um, and, and that's how he's been able to do these things and fight with these things. It, it's crazy that, yeah, you, you can't necessarily do that for a movie. And maybe the technology just wasn't there to make it look right. But you could still make him better than just a character who has a hand in fucking creating what Blanca is. How is your research today? The same. Warped. Corrupted. My science twisted to serve perversion instead of peace. Tell you what. After I've crushed my enemies, we'll see about getting you published. That should cheer you up, hmm? Now, let's have a look at the patient. Excellent. He'll do very nicely. You'll have a perfect soldier. You mean a perfect killer. Let's not quibble over definitions. Is that a reaction to the programming? What's he receiving? See for yourself. Merely educational software. Why does he find it disturbing? Because unlike you, he's not psychotic. Ooh. You take risks, Doctor. Do not presume so much on my good nature. When his brain has become a killing machine, my loyal scientists will start on his body. Okay, so there's a lot with this scene that's going on. And one, yes, I mentioned it earlier, they're trying to Clockwork Orange him just in the opposite way, right? If you've ever seen Clockwork Orange or read the book, they try to desensitize him from all the violence, stop the violence by showing them multiple violent things. And here, instead, that is what's going to turn him into the ultimate killing machine, is show him nothing but things of violence, and that's, as Bison calls it, educational material, and it'll eventually turn him evil, right? I love the way, like I said, I think Bison is who they thought of and who they wrote really well. Because here, he's, you know, it's, it's, it is against the character, but in the state of this film, and it's, again, it's probably because Julia does such a good job with the character that I like it so much and I think that it fits. But he's just kind of like, How's everything going? You know, everything's going great. He's like so proud of what they're doing. And the in Dalsim here, he's like, oh, you know, using my good work for fucking evil and being tarnished. This is terrible. And he's like, hey, I'll cheer you up. I'll make sure you get published after I take over the world. <laughs> like, that's going to make him fucking happy, right? Oh, okay. I'm just going to go ahead and continue to do this evil fucking shit. Turn this guy into an evil fucking monster that's just going to slaughter millions of fucking people. But it'll be okay because my work in turning this guy into a monster will get published. That'll make me fucking happy. Fuck you, Bison. I ain't doing this shit. And then, of course, 
he gets threatened because he's more worried about his life than he is actually doing the right thing, right? It's it's such a good version of the character in that he's playing this evil guy and you can see how for some people that like they believe that they're doing the right thing and that's the way he's playing. He's playing it in such a great warlord fashion. You know, like if you've ever seen that movie with Forrest Whitaker and the reporter that goes in there, I forget what it's called, but he gets kind of charmed by the warlord that Forrest Whitaker plays. You can see that type of performance in this, right? With with Julia here, she, he just shows that he's like, I'm right. I don't understand why people are calling me a monster. Everything I'm doing is for the betterment of people. So fuck them. You know, that's just the way that it's going to be. I'm going to continue doing what I am until people see it my way. Because it'll be perfect. Oh, killing a bunch of people and doing stuff? That definitely is just... That's just the way things are done. That's that's education material. That'll help them turn. It's it's really great. And it's really ridiculous at the same time. The other thing is, I think we get a little bit of that PG-13 rating. Because you see video of a guy being shot in the head. It's literally, you hear that shot. And you look on the screen. And the guy, even though it's kind of like off to the side. You don't see any blood or anything like that. The dude gets shot in the fucking head. In the movie. On the screen. You watch it. As a kid, I didn't even realize that. As an adult, I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, why the hell am I watching this? I get it with all the other violence and stuff. You know, tanks and people being, like, thrown out and explosions and shit like that. I don't know why they chose to show somebody getting shot in the head. So, from here, we cut back and we see that... Uh, Rio's been throwing the ring against Vega and they're getting ready to fight and they're showing off why like Vega is so vain all the girls love him he's a kind of handsome man I don't know it's up to you guys whether you believe that he's handsome or not somebody please tell me Dave let me know uh and he's just you know getting ready he's got his claw and Rio is given a sword a machete uh, actually, and he like throws it around and he throws it and sticks it in the wall right next to Vega. And then one of the girls in the audience throws her I love Vega sign and Vega's like, oh, and then right as they're about to start fighting, Guile busts through the wall and he arrests everybody because it's past curfew and he needs to make sure that these underground fights don't happen while under his fucking watch. We cut over and we see now that it's the next day and they put everybody they captured into a, like a cell yard. And there's a couple of funny things that go on. It's like you hear in the background like all prisoners are going to be vaccinated then de-loused and stuff like that. It's kind of weird. But you have Guile. He's talking with Cammy and T-Hawk. And T-Hawk again looks nothing like he should. Like Cammy, the person that's playing Cammy actually kind of looks like Cammy. It's really weird. She's still got the pigtails and everything like that, especially when she goes into battle. And she kind of wears the suit, but it's not exactly the suit. You know the suit that I'm talking about. But she's also not brainwashed by M. Bison in this film. She's already fighting for fucking Guile. She's really, 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 really minor in this movie. So, you know, it's fine. And same thing with T-Hawk, though... I miss, like, the bulking Indian T-Hawk. You know, the one that matches Zangief uh, step for step and how muscly he is. It's it's rather quite terrible. And, in fact, I think we've even met... I don't know if we have yet met... We did meet E-Honda for a second there. And, and Balrog for a little bit as well. Balrog is, uh, you know, the cameraman for Chun-Li. 
and he's not really spelt either. E Honda is one of the other guys that's on our team too, drives the van, goes after electronics, and he's a sumo wrestler. So at least that kind of matches, except for he's from fucking Hawaii instead of fucking Japan. So I don't understand why they're doing it. But at least they kind of are in the realm of those characters. T-Hawk just isn't anything. We've also seen Zangief as well. And Zangief's kind of our comic relief in this movie. And I didn't pick out everything from him. In fact, a lot of his stuff are just like little short one-liners. But he has one good one that you'll hear much later in the film. Or as we go into the film. But uh, And then there's also DJ too. DJ happens to be like the communications expert for M. Bison, who we've seen already in the beginning of the movie, who also is kind of a minor character, but doesn't really fit the Jamaican guy that he was in the video games. I mean, he's... It's fine. He's got the accent and everything like that. And actually, he's relatively funny. He's also kind of your comic relief for the movie. And, you know, done relatively well for at least the facial expressions that DJ gives. Because he doesn't have a terrible amount of lines in the movie. But he does come over as a decent character, at least for the way that the movie's going, not necessarily <laughs> in the lore of the Street Fighter universe. So I digress, I guess. But we're here now. We're back in the yard. We have Guile talking with Cammy and T-Hawk, as I had mentioned before. And they're basically trying to figure out how to use Sagat into luring them or showing them the way to wherever M. Bison is. Because if they can follow them somehow or convince them to work with them, then they'd be able to find M. Bison. Cammy isn't very reluctant about it. She's just kind of like, hey, you know, I don't think that's going to work. He's never going to betray him and he's definitely never going to help you. Meanwhile, Ryu and Ken, they get into a yard fight with all the new goons, or at least the goons that were arrested with Sagat uh, and Vega. They basically go and they start fighting in the yard, beating the shit out of all the goons. And then Vega attacks, and Vega happens to get a claw. Well, Sagat gives him a claw, right, that's made of bamboo and, like, nails. It's so ridiculous. How did he get something constructed so well, so fast? I understand there's a ton of bamboo out there that could have broken some down. We know that they're only there in the yard for a little bit. This was just the first day that has kind of passed at this moment, right? It started out in the movie, they have 72 hours to comply to M. Bison's demands, and already now a day has passed after we had the night fight, and now we have the day fight in the yard. So eventually, after they're fighting, and he's starting to get his rematch with Vega, and there's actually a funny line that goes on here, Vega says, where were we? And then <laughs> Ryu punches him and said, you were losing. I, I love it. Uh, and so there's a little bit of a fight and eventually everybody breaks it up and everybody is taken off into their own separate areas. But Guile sees an opportunity with Ken and Ryu and decides to pull them off to the side and guilt that trip them into helping him, well, get to M. Bison's base. Come on. These people here have a chance. Those hostages Bison is holding have less than that. What is this, a guilt trip? Call it a wake-up call, gentlemen. Manila, Hong Kong, Shadaloo. You try to justify your con games by telling yourselves you've been stealing from criminals. Now, are you the same as Sagat and Bison? Or am I right? And you're different. We're different. Can we please leave? 
The only way you two are living is over my dead body. Uh-oh. What does that mean? Does that mean something is afoot? Are they going to have to do something special for Guile? Who knows? I mean, the next scene that's going to happen, it's going to be such a surprise in the way that it ends. I have a feeling, and people are going to be duped unless they were paying attention to this specific scene. Ugh. <laughs> Just terrible. Absolutely terrible. But... You see them, they're more, I guess, I said they were hustlers earlier, and now I believe, after kind of listening to this multiple times, and, and a better thing to put on top of them would be to put Robin Hoods. They're Robin Hoods. They basically rob from the bad guys by selling them fake weaponry, taking their money and saying, hey, we're doing a really good thing by taking the money for them, but then don't actually do anything to stop what they're actually doing. So, of course, the guilt trip works, and they've been conscripted to help Guile trick Sagat into helping him find out exactly where M. Bison is, because he's supposed to be meeting him at this, like, rally or something that they're having out in the desert somewhere, or wherever the fuck they are in Shadaloo. So, the plan starts coming together when they're taking them over into the cart, and they're going to move them to the docks, supposedly, where there's a place that the Navy will hold them. They came to the harbor. Yes, sir. The Navy has a brig waiting for them. Bon voyage, Sagat. Enjoy the sea air. This isn't over, Kyle. I own this city. Well, I'm the Reaper man. And you're out of business. Let's move another truck up You just had to come to this country, didn't you, huh? Why do I listen to you? You can't think, you can't fight, you can't even know what I think. I'm sick of your crap! Huh? Hey! Break it up! Get in the truck! Get in the truck! Come on! Alright, next bag. Cell block D, line up for the next truck. I say something real fast about this fucking soundtrack for this movie i'm not talking about the orchestral soundtrack i'm talking about the music they use as background music in certain scenes while it's entertaining don't get me wrong i was dancing the entire time that i was going through that clip there because that reminded me some like old school like well it reminded me a little bit of house of pain or maybe even some like old school coolio or something like that and <laughs> It just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit any fucking scene that they're doing. There's one scene... Oh, God. I want to get to that scene so bad. Where the music 100, 1 million percent does not match what's going on in the scene. Yet it's still playing. Even when they do something that I think is going to make fun of the music that's playing. It's not what actually happens. And the entire time, every once in a while it matches up. And the orchestral stuff does work for the scenes that they do. It's great. But when they're using licensed music, it's like, why the fuck? You, you only put this in this scene to specifically put it in this scene so that way that person can get fucking royalties and people can listen to the fucking music or whatever you guys are fucking doing. So they fight. 
They give the keys to Sagat. They start beating everybody up that's on the truck. And they take over the truck before they're able to lock it up. And they start driving away. Gal tells everybody to stay back. He gets out his gun, starts firing it at the truck. And can manage to get a gun from one of the the troopers back there. And shoots Gal and kills him. Oh my god, Gal is dead. I'm so fucking sad. I'm so fucking surprised. Sagat is really fucking surprised because... Guile is fucking dead, and he can't believe that Ken's the one that fucking killed him. And so what do they do as a prize? One, they got them to get away. They've forgone everything that they've done so far, or foregone, or whatever you want to call it. I can't fucking speak today. You would love to hear the bloopers. At some point, you will. Uh, but it's just like, they, they don't have any debts with him. Everything's fine, and we'll take you to M. Bison, just like we're going to do and, of course, everybody's just fucking sad that Guile has died. Uh, we cut over and we see that M. Bison, he's busy. He's talking about the place that he's at. And here, let's tell him talk about Bisonopolis for a second. The temple above us was the wonder of the ancient world. Bisonopolis shall be the wonder of my world. But I think... Uh... The food court should be larger. All the big franchises will want in. Dateline, Shadaloo City, Shadaloo, Southeast Asia. The world is in shock at the news that Colonel William F. Guile has been killed. It happened just 30 minutes ago during a jailbreak by Victor Sagat, the gunrunner who is the principal arms supplier for renegade General M. Bison. It was hoped that the Allied Nation forces would restore order here. But after today's tragedy, nothing is certain, except that Bison's mad threats will continue, and that the new AN commander's first order of business is to bury Colonel Guile. For GNT, this is Chung Lee Zan. That's great news, General. Congratulations. On the contrary, I mourn. Okay. I was hoping to face Guile personally on the battlefield. One gentleman warrior to another in respectful combat. Then I would snap his spine. Ah! The road not taken. But why? Why do they still call me a warlord? And mad? All I want to do is to create the perfect genetic soldier. Not for power, not for evil, but for good. Carlos Blanca will be the first of many. They shall march out of my laboratory. And sweep away every adversary, every creed, every nation. Until the very planet is in the loving grip of the Pax Bisonica. And then peace will reign in the world. And all humanity shall bow to me. In humble gratitude. See what I mean when I say that I 
fucking love him in this movie. Like, this scene is such... If it wasn't him doing it, and it wasn't him so getting into this role and just being an ultimate professional and having fun with what he's doing, this movie would be half as good as it is. In fact, I'd probably fucking hate this movie to fucking death and wouldn't want to watch it again, like a certain Dragon Ball movie that it won't be fucking named. But it's... He's like... This is the type of stuff where I'm okay with a little bit of the humor being there because it's being played straight. There's no wacky noises. There's no crazy music. In fact, the orchestrated music that's going on, it builds up to this crescendo of like his evilness and, but it's masked in the back by it's, it's kind of like almost like glorious at the same time. Like it's righteous in its way that it's being played. Because he believes that it's righteous, but it has that like warrior warlord tinge to it as you listen to it and as it grows and it gets louder. It's amazing like how well and how respected they've given this character is so good in this movie. And if you had scenes like this instead of the fucking gun scene, instead of the one scene later where it's funny, but it's... It's so straight that you laugh because he believes it. And you believe that he believes what he's saying is just and right. He says, I'm not trying to create the ultimate soldier to be (laughs) for evil. I'm doing it for good. I'm doing it for the peace of humanity. Come on. Why does nobody see it the way that I see it? The way that's the right way. It's... It's so well done. It's hard for me to like fault it for anything that's going on. Even the sound design in the scene is relatively good too. And you get a little bit of it here when you're listening to the podcast. Because you hear the noise in, in this case coming from your right ear of the TV. Because he's not paying attention to it yet. Then as he turns and pays attention to the TV... You get both ears and you're fully concentrated on what Chun-Li is saying on the top of the TV as he's now fully paying attention to what's going on. It's really well done. I think that this is an excellently done scene in a scene or a film with a bunch of terrible scenes as well. So I do give the sound design guys a lot of credit when it comes to this film and even when it comes to all the orchestrated stuff in this movie. Uh, what I didn't mention before is that as the truck drove away, of course, you know, there's probably a tracker on there, but Chun-Li also threw something into the back, which is like another microphone or something. That seems like the microphone from like her lapel or something like that. It's not totally clear what exactly she threw back there, but when they go back to her car or the van that they have and you have her, Balrog, and E-Honda all looking at their stuff trying to trace it, Then they find out that, hey, somebody else threw something back there. And it's on the same frequency as whatever she threw back in the back of the car. They find out that it's actually going into the Aeon base that's there. And so Chun-Li decides that it's her time to do a little bit of espionage and find out what's going on. So she dons her best like ninja gear. And then they drive the car through a portion of the base. And she jumps up into one of the windows. And eventually ends in the same area where the signal's coming from. Which happens to be the morgue. And actually happens to have the body of Guile there. So she goes over to the body of Guile. She lifts up the blanket. Sees that he's sitting there. Puts the blanket back on top of him. And then when she decides to leave, the craziest thing happens. If I didn't give you an interview when I was alive... No way I'm going to do it when I'm dead. 
Of course. Those two young men who led the prison break and killed you. They're working for you, aren't they? Are you asking as a reporter or as something else? Sergeant, take Miss Zhang into custody. No, wait, 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 please. You're right. I'm not here just to cover the news. I don't want a story about Bison. I want his head. Now, it's taken me 20 years to get this far. You can't lock me up, not when I'm this close. Take her away. Yes, sir. No. I knew you wouldn't understand. I understand better than you know. This war is not about your personal vendetta. Okay, so this is about him going after Charlie. Like the whole thing, it's not about you know getting the the relief people, the refugees, or whatever you want to call them, rescuing them, beating Bison. It's about going after getting revenge for fucking Charlie. And she's like, it's about revenge for me. No, it's not. I do like the way that he delivers the line, but I just feel that it doesn't fit in the course of this movie. I get it. He has a ulterior motive to doing the right thing but ultimately they're there to rescue people that's why he wants to do it it just also happens that charlie is there and that's ultimately the reason why he's the one that has to get everything done so we cut from here after chun li escapes from t hawk and cammy and we cut over to where all the warlords are and there's a little bit of a funny intro to the place where like there's people selling stuff there's like a U.S. helicopter that's being sold. Oh, only saved a bunch of you know people used once. It's really ridiculous. And then you see that everybody's sitting around. Ken and Ryu are there while Sagat is sitting with Bison, kind of chatting it up a little bit, getting ready to you know give his weapons and get paid for the weapons that he's giving over. Meanwhile, there is a troop of people that are giving a performance, and they look awfully familiar. In fact, it looks like Chun-Li, Balrog, and E-Honda. Oh, wait, it is them. Like, come on. Like, nobody would be able to figure out who they were. I guess Chun-Li, because she has, like, she's wearing a mask. But the other two, maybe they don't know who they are. But they don't, you know... I guess they would never really know who they were. Because if they were behind the camera, they're never going to actually be giving anything. And neither one of them is a sound guy. And on the fucking like, video camera that... <laughs> And Bison, not M. Bison, Balrog, see, even I'm trying to mixing things up, uh, that Balrog constantly uses doesn't have, like, a sound thing on top of it. So who's the sound guy? They never explain anybody. Is Fei Long somebody around there somewhere, and he happens to be the sound guy? Is that what we're trying to get into? Nope. Never explained. He doesn't even pick up anything. I guess she's just kind of mouthing everything anyway, or they're overdubbing it because, you know... They never really seem to match up the words to the the voiceover that's happening whenever they do a fucking video in this movie. So, of course, she tries to entice Ken and uh, Ryu because they're the ones that are working for Guile and she knows this. So she tempts them to come back to her tent. And meanwhile, we see that Sagat and Bison start acting up because... Well, Sagat's not necessarily going to be paid in the currency that he thought he was going to be paid in. 
Is this a joke? This money isn't worth the paper it's printed on. On the contrary. Every bison dollar will be worth five British pounds. For that is the exchange rate the Bank of England will set once I've kidnapped their queen. We know you're working for Colonel Guile. You may not believe me, but we're your friends. I must have been insane to think I could do business with you, Bison! You raving lunatic! I know you. You're Edmund Honda, the sumo from Hawaii. You almost made Yokozuna. Until the Shadow Tong destroyed my reputation. They did the same thing to me and my boxing career. Don't tell me. Figure skating. All you need to know is that the weapons, ammunitions, bison, and cigar deal in are gonna blow them straight to hell. This conclave is over! You will die for this insult, Sagat. You've got ten minutes. Well, that was special. Come on, we've been working. What? It's showtime. Okay, so it's so ridiculous, the scene that we've got going on here. Because we've got... We've got Bison basically giving out Disney dollars, right? If you guys remember, I'm not sure if they really do anymore, but I know this was something as a kid that I was like, oh my god, they could do it. My parents, and there is the itchy and scratchy episode of The Simpsons. I know I'm bringing it back over there, but this is an example of what these damn things are. Uh, Disney had a bunch of dollars that you could buy, basically, and they would be used in the shops and areas of the Disneyland park but only certain places, basically for food, and then in some places, they would do it in certain shops, right? If you needed something, you can just use Disney dollars, and they were equivalent to real dollars, but it just, (laughs) there were not a lot of places that took it, and the Simpsons one, of course, is Homer goes and buys the itchy and scratchy money. Oh, it's like real money, but uh, fun, and he buys $500 worth, and no place fucking takes them. And that's how I kind of see the bison bucks here, right? He's going to have a whole lot and he's going to make sure he kidnaps the Queen of England so that she, who I guess sells like the world's money, right? It sets the normal exchange rate. Oh, well, mine's going to be worth five British pounds. I don't know about you. That's because we're going to kidnap the Queen. Okay, so it's going to be worth five pounds. Where is it going to be worth everybody else? Is it going to be equivalent? And they're going to be like, no, we're not going to recognize. So you got to go steal you know, the president of Zaire. And then you got to go seal, you know, the president of Japan or the leader of Japan. Then you got to go get the president of the United States and you have to go get the king of Sweden. You have to do all this stuff to make sure and kidnap a shit ton of people and make enemies out of everybody so that your money is worth something. And then I bet your food court's not even going to take the fucking bison dollars. Like, they're just going to go and be like, no, we want cash money. We don't want this play fucking shit, even though it's got Bison's fucking face on it. And maybe only Bisonopolis is going to be the only place. Like, they're not going to accept anything but Bison bucks. And then he's going to have to do an exchange for it. And then he's going to get money off the people because he knows that this is bullshit. Just like Disneyland. So, (laughs) it's so ridiculous. And I love the way the scene plays out. Because Sagat, 
Like, he plays such a good straight man with Bison, who is also being a straight man in this scene. Like, he's legitimately pissed off, and Bison's legitimately like, ah, ha, ha, no. He's doing, like, his best, like, Jeff Goldblum here. You know, I, I think back to the, the Saturday Night Live sketch where I believe David Duchovny's playing Jeff Goldblum, and he's like, they're like, you know, Celebrity Jeopardy, write down any letter, uh, you know, whatever it is, he writes down two. And you wrote down the number two, ah. Ah, the the letter two, or the or it was maybe the I can't remember what it was, but that's basically what he's got going here, and that's what what Bison is thinking in the back of his head. It's like, look, it's going to be worth a lot just when I take over the world. Just wait, you're you're a fool to not take my money. And he, Sagat's fucking pissed because he went through all this shit to get him all his fucking weapons, which by the way aren't fucking high tech. I don't know if you've noticed yet, but every one of his fucking guards uses just guns. That's it. He's supposed to have this high-tech fucking army where nobody can fucking get into his base. They have the highest-grade weapons. They're amazing. I was expecting sharks with lasers on top of their freaking heads. But what we get is a standard fucking-looking machine gun. It looks like a like Colonial Marine type of a machine gun that we've got here. Or, you know, it's going to be like a Space Marine sh- machine gun, you know, in the 40K universe. But what they've got is just... A fucking regular Doom machine gun. They, they've got nothing else. It's just an auto assault rifle. There's nothing fucking special about it. You can't mod that shit. It doesn't fire fucking grenades or mini missiles or nothing. They just shoot shit. So what type of advanced fucking technology does he have? None. He's just got guns. Everybody has fucking guns. It's ridiculous. So... They're all pointing guns at each other. They're all pissed at each other. And then who decides to walk back into the tent? Why, it's Ken and Ryu, and they basically have to defuse the situation. Uh, I was wrong. It got worse. Ken, back me up. General, so God, uh, loosen up. It's a party. I... Are you with me or against me? Is that multiple choice? You dare to interfere? Yeah, uh, because, because there are enemy spies everywhere among us, General. Show me these spies. This is Chung Li Zhang, and this may be my final broadcast. But if it is, I and my comrades will know that we have not died in vain. For we will have ended the careers of the two warlords who have brought so much death and destruction to this part of the world. Bison, Sagat, all your weapons of death are going to be blown sky high. Well, you know, it is possible that those weapons of death that they have are just the ping pong guns that Ryu and Ken sold them earlier. And maybe Sagat's just trying to make some money off of Bison. And that's what he meant by advanced fucking weaponry. But I highly doubt it. He seems like he's a credible weapons dealer, to be honest with you. So (laughs) they warned him of the incoming attack. And here's one of the lines where we get uh, Zangief being the, the other comic relief in this movie, because they're looking at the screen and the car is coming towards them. Then they look outside and the car is coming towards them. And they look at the screen and the car is coming towards them. Zangief looks at the screen, says change the channel. And everybody looks at him like you fucking idiot. And even I look at the screen like you fucking idiot. It's so ridiculously bad. But it is a decent laugh, to be honest with you, for the film. So, 
somehow they dodged the bullet of being exploded, I guess, with the, you know, the truck full of ammunition. And when they get over to the Shadowloo base, wherever fucking M. Bison is, you know, he praises Ken and Ryu for the good work that they've done in showing that there are traitors out there. Yet, all he did was, I guess, prevent them from being blown up by the guns. But I guess it kind of works in their favor. The technology of East and West. While their governments scorned me, their corporations adored me. Zangief, see that Ken and Ryu are given clean clothing. For it was they who first warned us of Chan Li's treachery. They are honored guests. Sagat, Vega, you are welcome to stay here. I think you will find the coming events most uh, educational. General, what about them? Take these two to the interrogation room. I do. Number four. They will talk. Or they will die. <clears throat> Preferably both. Take the uh, journalist to my chambers. We have decided to grant her a private interview. Get off me, man. Take it easy, pal. Get off Let's go. Kim, Ryu, come with me. Let me take care of you. This way. So then it's rape for Chun-Li, I guess. I mean, that's the only outcome that's going to come out of this, right? He's going to take Chun-Li back to his room for a quote-unquote private interview, which means that he's going to try to get busy with her. I know she's not going to be able to, like, resist him or anything like that, and she's just going to consensually give himself over to her, but... uh yeah, actually, I highly doubt that that's going to happen, considering that she wants to take his head. So, Balrog and E-Honda get taken off. I forgot to talk about the whole Yokozuna thing. Um, I don't know the history behind it, but I assume, and I'm pretty sure that somebody's going to correct me on it. Hello, Pat. Uh, but that the Yokozuna that they're talking about is the same Yokozuna that ended up joining the WWF uh, at a time for a little while, but he was one of the biggest sumo wrestlers in the world. Uh, don't know much more than that, and the fact that E Honda was going to fight against him seems kind of ridiculous, but hey, now we're here. From here, we go back over to where Guile and everybody is, and they've traced the signal to exactly where M. Bison is. So he gets the whole group together to discuss what the attack plan is going to be. Now, I should mention that when Ryu and Ken end up over there, at the base and you can see the clock in the background it's now 12 hours left until bison needs to get his money and he starts killing the fucking hostages that he has and it seems really ridiculous that we got to this scene because if you remember correctly the first day ends when they break up the fight now the second day ends when this whole warlord thing is going on so when they're taken over there it has to be at some time at night that there's 12 hours left to go but we don't know the exact time. Is it 9 o'clock at night? Is it 11 o'clock at night? Is it midnight? Is it 6 p.m. and, you know, the light's just going down early over there? 
We don't fucking know. So it could be any hour that the whole thing is going to end and he's just going to start fucking killing people. So when they start talking about the plan that they're going to use and what time they're going to meet up, it's kind of weird depending on when the actual time is going to end to when they're going to actually start their attack. An attack from the air is impossible. The only chance is an assault with a small amphibious force. Here, the main force will come from the north, while a single vessel equipped with the latest in stealth technology will come up this channel and distract its defenses from the east. Colonel. Yes? A single boat against everything he's got? The pilot would have to be out of his mind. Luckily, Bison has driven me crazy. So I'm going to do it. Synchronizer watches 0500 cast off at 0600. This is it. Okay, so 0500 is when they're all going to get together, which is 5 a.m. And 0600 at 6 a.m. is when they're going to begin the mission. So if they want to make sure that they like stop them from killing the relief uh, workers that they have there, they're going to make sure that 6 a.m. is the perfect amount of time for them to get over there, stop it before the demand hour is let up, because he's probably so crazy that he's just going to go ahead and start killing people at 6 a.m., right? Well, we'll find out what happens when the time comes to it. So from here, we cut back over into Bison's lair, and we see that Zangief and Ryu and Ken are all talking about, you know, well, Zangief is like dressing them in the red and white yees that is symbolic to both of their characters from the games. And so you're fucking telling me right now, based upon this movie, that this is the way that Ryu and Ken got their goddamn red and white yees? This is it? This is fucking stupid. This is the dumbest thing that this movie... This this goes against all of my intelligence. Even as a little kid. We know exactly. That's the way they've always been. Okay? Guile, when he finally takes his jacket off, he looks a lot more like Guile. Not completely, but he does. Ryu and Ken haven't looked like them at all. One is not wearing red, one is not wearing white, except for now, finally, when they get into their geese that are given by fucking Bison's henchmen. By his henchmen. That's where they're getting their stuff from? This is fucking stupid. Like, you can't just fucking do that. Why would you take two of the greatest martial arts masters that the world has ever known by the game standards, get rid of that entirely, make them fucking Robin Hood motherfuckers that are stealing from the rich and giving them fake fucking weapons and laughing about it instead of them being these badass martial arts guys and then getting them put into this thing where they're guilt-tripped into trying to save the world and every other medium that I've seen them used in, they're always on the side of good except for Ryu who struggles with his evil side, you're going to put them in this situation where they don't want to fucking help and then they're guilted into fucking helping and then they don't get their iconic clothing until they're deep within undercover in the fucking bad guy's base? Are you fucking killing me here? Are you... Oh my fucking God. This this is one of those things that... And yes, this is just a like a fucking nerd rage moment for me. But God fucking damn it, man. If you can just 
just leave it alone. Just do something different. Like, have them team up, whatever, but always have them in their fucking keys. Is that so fucking hard to do? And you know what's even worse? The next time that we're going to see Chun-Li, she's in one of her signature fucking dresses, but it's the wrong fucking color. Ugh. So, from here, after they, there's some, like, joking moments with them, and there's one thing where they're like, oh, did you get to see that digital map? Because they're going to go rescue E-Honda and Bison, and hopefully Chun-Li... Uh, not Bison, fucking Balrog. Why do I keep wanting to call him Bison? I don't know fucking why. But either he's going to re- rescue those two, right? And he's like, oh, I saw half of it. And he's like, I got the other half. How do you know you have the right half? How do you know? What if Ken got the left half and you got the left half? Like, what would happen then? You don't know the rest of the fucking base. You're fucking screwed. But they never really talk about it again. So... They go off, and we see that Balrog and fucking E-Honda are getting tortured. And E-Honda's the one getting whipped, actually. He's the one truly getting tortured. But even the whip's on his back, nothing is fucking happening. When they show his back, it's all beaten up and bloodied. And Balrog's like, how'd you do that? And he's like, well, you know, years of doing sumo has gotten me to attune my mind to another state and plane. So that way I don't feel pain. It's just weird, but it's kind of neat at the same time. I'm like, I'm okay with that. Especially when they're trying to show like how much of a badass E-Honda actually is. And he's really not seen as that in the video games. In fact, I don't think you see him very often, even in other media. And I think he was wiped off the face of the video games for a while. Until he came back much, 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 much later. So after this, it cuts to the next morning. And now everybody is getting together and they're all getting ready to fucking start invading Bison's place. And then a helicopter lands and somebody from the head of the AN comes over to Guile. And he has some very bad news to which Guile responds in the most Guile way possible for this movie. How's the work, Colonel? What a surprise. Welcome to the Shadaloo front. You're just in time for the kickoff. I'm afraid not, Colonel. Security Council has just voted. They've decided to negotiate. You're joking. We think we can deal with General Bison. You're instructed to call off the assault. Contact him. Request an extension of his deadline. We are prepared to pay the ransom demand. Twenty billion dollars? What will prevent him from taking more hostages next month and asking for fifty billion? One hundred billion? Colonel... Have you lost your mind? No. You've lost your balls. Colonel Guile, deliver these instructions to your troops, and then consider yourself relieved of your command. Okay, there's some really ridiculous things going on in this scene. One, there has got to be very little time left. We don't really know, because all we knew is whenever that stuff happened, like I said before, there was 1,200 hours left, or 11.59 and 59 seconds, or whatever it said, on the fucking wall. But there were about 12 hours left. 1,200 hours, what the fuck is wrong with me? And here comes the AN guy, and he's just like an uptight fucking prick. That's all he fucking is. He's just here to give Guile the go, and to like, no, we're gonna stop, and we're totally gonna just, you know negotiate with him he could have come in there and said look there's only three hours left there's only five hours left in this and we're really afraid that he's going to kill the hostages so we've decided to negotiate and then Gal could have been like look we're just going to go off and we're going to do it well we don't think that you have enough time so we think that's the best way and then there could have been like some decent type of conflict 
for the big fucking speech that's going to come up other than, oh, you know what? We're just giving in. Oh, you lost your balls. It's just, it's stupid. It feels so dumb to me, this like interaction that's going on here. And it's acted so terribly by both sides of the coin. And it's just like, here you go. You know, and then the thing is, for being Street Fighter and for it being focused around Guile, Guile hasn't fought one person once yet. You know, all we've had is like a small Ken and Ryu. Actually, we've had only Ken and Ryu fights. That's it. Those are the only fights that we've had. We we haven't seen Chun-Li fight anybody. We haven't even heard of Dal Sim or Balrog, not Balrog, fucking Blanca, in a while. We don't know where they are. They could have just fucking fallen off the face of the planet. There's been little things here or there. We did see one little scene where Dal Sim, he switched over the, uh, the, <laughs> the whole thing that they were doing, you know, and now became, like, happy things. It's a wedding. It's kids playing. Like, that's gonna make you good. Like, getting married all of a sudden makes you a good person. What the fuck, man? I should be a fucking saint if that's the way that it was. You know, it's like saying, well, making sure that you're in the kitchen, you're pregnant with kids, you married somebody, that makes you the the most godly wife in the world. No, it fucking doesn't. You know, it's so fucking ridiculous that these are the images that they decide to show them. I guess you don't want to show somebody getting their head blown open every five fucking seconds. And this would definitely be confuse the guy, but it makes him kind of a calm character, I guess you can say. It's weird. I don't get it. But that's just the way that the movie decides. This is how we're going to program Blanca for good. Oh, it's fucking ridiculous. And there's the guy that's over there that's like watching over him, looking at nudie mags and shit. So we we have this whole situation. Now he's been told to, to issue the orders because of bullshit reasons that they won't explain why they're going to negotiate with fucking Bison. And he, of course, that's where he gives the most empowered, righteous and fucking cringiest speech in the whole goddamn movie. Independence Day, this is not. Troopers, I just received new orders. Our superiors say the war is canceled. We can all go home. Bison is getting paid off for his crimes. And our friends who have died here will have died for nothing. But... We can all go home. Meanwhile, ideals like peace, freedom, and justice, they get packed up. But we can all go home. Well, I'm not going home. I'm going to get on my boat, and I'm going upriver, and I'm going to kick that son of a bitch bison's ass so hard that the next bison wannabe He's gonna feel it. Now, who wants to go home? And who wants to go with me? Come on! Colonel Guile! Colonel Guile, these instructions. I would love to, but some moron just scanned me. Okay, so first off, if this were real life, 
uh, Guile wouldn't have been allowed to give any type of speech to anybody because I think he just fired him even before he gave instructions on what to fucking do. And just like here at the end of this thing where he's like, tell them to stop. He's like, no, some moron fired me. Like, they're acting on their own. Means that they've now just robbed the fucking AN of all their fucking military equipment. And they're going on a vigilante mission to go ahead and stop M. Bison. And nobody's going to do anything about it. It seems so ridiculous that they're just able to get away with it. He's able to get away, especially with the end of the movie, of stealing the highest in stealth technology that they're going to use. Stealth boat, or <laughs> we can call it night boat over here. And because there's going to be a perfect canal where he needs to go to face the bad guys, right? So it just seems so ridiculous that Guile would not get in any type of fucking trouble when it came to whatever happened after everything was done. Even though we all know he's going to stop M. Bison in the end. So he gets on his boat with everybody else and they start like running off. And that's where we get some of the best scenes in the movie where we're dealing with just Chun-Li and M. Bison. And this, this is the best moment in this film. And you know why it's the best moment in the world? Because it's the perfect dialogue and perfect response from Bison to what exactly, and the reasoning behind Chun-Li going after him. And like I said, like her reasoning is not terrible. They changed it a little bit. It's not her master that she's trying to get revenge for, but it's for her father instead because of everything that was done to her village 20 years ago. So let's, uh, let's let them talk. It was 20 years ago. You hadn't promoted yourself to general yet. You were just a petty drug lord. You and your gang of murderers gathered your small ounce of courage to raid across the border for food, weapons, <laughs> slave labor. My father was the village magistrate. A simple man with a simple code, justice. He gathered the few people that he could to stand against you. <laughs> you and your bullies were driven back by farmers with pitchforks. <laughs> My father saved his village at the cost of his own life. You had him shot as you ran away. A hero. At a thousand paces. I'm sorry. I don't remember any of it. You don't remember? For you, the day Bison graced your village was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. Got her. Like, it's so ridiculous. That response, the way that it's delivered, is so excellent. Because he's not really paying attention. Like, he is. 
And I gotta say, the set for his room is fucking badass. He's got a badass fucking bone chandelier that he's got above on the ceiling. He's got bone. He's got a human bone everything. There's a human bone trash can in the corner. There's a human bone massage table that he's got. He's got a human bone fireplace that somehow, it's probably like, you know, stone bone that he's got in the inside because that's what keeps the fire going. You know, he's got uh, bone shiatsu knives over in the corner. It's just bone everything. It's fucking great. So he's there and he's just undressing himself. He's getting into his bison-like robe and making sure that he's keeping everything. His night hat rather than just his regular hat. Like, it's all so well, like, it's ridiculous. But again, Raul Julio's playing it so straight. So straight. That it is just ridiculously good. And especially when he gets that and he's just like, I'm sorry, I, I don't remember. And she's just shocked. And she's in her fucking Chun-Li dress now. So you're telling me the way that she got her Chun-Li dress is that her Chinese dress is that it was given to her specifically by fucking M. Bison. And it's not the dress that she chooses to fight in all the fucking time. I get it. Fighting in that dress is probably not the best thing in the world. It might be a little bit restricted. Well, she does have those bodacious fucking thighs going on and all that fucking leg muscle that she's got. But still, at the same time, you like look at it here. You're just like, really? This is the point when she gets the Chinese dress? It's fucking ridiculous. But she just like she's giving the story and, and she's intense and really like trying to lay it on thick and just being like, ha, huh, I got you right where I want you. And he's just like, eh, you know what? I really don't know. I don't really care. Um, and you know what? <laughs> that line, that line at the end, like for you, that was the most important day for me. It was Tuesday. It's delivered perfectly, perfectly. And it's just, it's so goddamn funny Every time I fucking see it, and it's the best, the best fucking sequence in this whole goddamn movie. There are other sequences that are really good and really fun, but this is the pinnacle of Bison in this movie, and it's the pinnacle moment for this film. This is where you either love this film or you hate this film, and you love this film because of this performance, and this is the height of the performance, because everything else after this... Honestly, is a little cheesy, but it's still well done, even though it seems so ridiculous. But it's just still, this This is it. This is Bison to a fucking T. And I'm glad that it was played by such a great fucking actor. And I'm glad that they gave the, the character the respect that he needed, and they wrote him so well. And maybe he's not written as well as I think he is, but because he's acted so well is why I like it so much. So we keep having little interspersed scenes here of Ken and Ryu. They come over and they rescue uh, (laughs) Balrog. I almost said Bison. I almost said it right the first fucking time, but whatever. So they go rescue Balrog and Ihonda, who have managed to rescue themselves. And so when they come in there... 
They basically get choked out until they stop and say, look, we were coming to rescue you because we know we did wrong because we were trying to get Guile here. Like, they have to understand that it's not just about your fucking revenge, but we got to make sure that we rescue them. And that was part of our thing going on as well. So, from that being rescued, we get to hear the rest of the conversation that Chun-Li has with Bison, because Bison doesn't know that Chun-Li's got him right where she wants him. I spent the past ten years working in the media world, using it to gather intelligence on you. I found partners who hated you and your friends as much as I did. But most importantly, I studied the martial arts of three continents so that one day I could meet you. Avenge my father. And end your reign of terror. Myself. (laughs) I don't think so. You see, no one has ever seen you in combat. You always hid behind your sumo in your boxer. Why? Since you entered this country, you never even threw a single punch. No, my dear. I know women. And you are harmless. exactly what I wanted you to think. So now this is where Chun-Li just all of a sudden starts beating the shit out of Bison. She proves that she is the warrior that she says that she is. And it's actually a relatively fun scene because she's finally getting her revenge until, of course, Balrog, E-Honda, Ken Ryu all show up to fuck up everything and bison gets into his like safe room and that's where like they're all talking she's like i can get him and she pounds on the glass they're like no we have to escape and right as they start to escape that's of course where the doors close they can't get out and bison starts gassing the room so that way he knocks everybody out and you would think that being the evil warlord that he is, but of course he's a little messed up in the head, that this would be the point that he'd choose that it's going to be toxic gas and just not night-night gas like it turns out to be. There's also this really cool shot in this scene as he begins to laugh on his face. All of a sudden, like, a flaming skull shows up for just a split moment as he laughs, and I really like the way that looks in this scene. And again, Bison just doesn't care what Chun-Li has to like say about anything that's going on. Because one, he believes that he's better than her. And he ultimately says that too, that that's not what she is. She's just a woman. In fact, 
she needs to be enamored by him and he's doing everything he can he's changing the lights he's changing the mood music he's making sure the fire is upright and then she breaks the shackles and just like these leather bullshit things it's almost like she's wearing a fi- chinese finger trap on her arms and just breaks it and starts beating his ass because he's way too fucking arrogant it's again like the scene with her and him Probably some of the best acted by both actors uh, in the way that he's carrying Bison and what she's showing that she's not that person that you think that she is based upon all the scenes in the movie. Now, she's been a reporter and she did like the little bit of espionage and spy work by getting into the AN and she's able to trick them with the dances like he doesn't even like think about that part. Like she's the one that actually engineered the whole thing. So she's got brain, she's got stealth, now she's got bronze because she started kicking his ass and he wasn't able to handle it. And in fact, if they hadn't stopped him, you know, the whole thing going on, then she probably would have killed him and everything would have ended right there and then. So we cut back now onto the ocean. We don't know how much time is left. Because supposedly it's daylight. Like, Bison must not fucking sleep. Because he brought them into the room. The attack has already begun. We've already seen the scene with uh, Dalsim, like, changing over uh, the fucking guy, you know, to Blanca. To start being good guy Blanca. And it's just... I don't know. There's a lot of shit going on. If that was supposed to take place at night, well, then I guess we're going through two different time frames that I just didn't realize. I guess that's just the way that it's going to go. So we see that uh, Guile is going on the ocean and, he, well, on the rivers or whatever it is, going to the place. And he sees, like, it's so ridiculous. Because they put on stealth mode and everybody has to put down their visors for some reason. Like, that's going to make sure that the whole thing ensures stealth. Is, you know, you're going to put down your visor and if somebody doesn't leave their visor down, all of a sudden they're going to be out of stealth or some shit like that? Or is it like a radiation mask and they're protecting themselves from the radiation of this new fucking technology? I don't know. And it happens to fit three people. He's like, who's the one crazy enough to do it? It's me. But yet Cammy and T-Hawk are also going with him. And they're not crazy enough. They're just following fucking orders. I, I, fuck if I know. But hey, they're along for the fucking ride. So they're going in. They eventually get up to one of the radar dishes. And they pop out a fucking chain gun. And blow it the shit up. Then they blow up a second one. And it's... Like the weakest defenses in the world because they don't do a whole lot. It's not like they're firing missiles at it. It's just a couple of bullets. It's maybe like two spins of the chain gun. And that blows up both fucking radar dishes. Which of course alerts M. Bison after he's brought everybody into the room. Because, you know, it's almost time and his demands have not been met just yet. But yet there's the start of the assault on the base. And I guess maybe it's in time. But really, there's not a whole lot of time left on that clock. And this, of course, gets you to one of the biggest memes that are out there uh, with the line that he says, uh, directed towards Sagat. Oh, this, this is great. And this is where you actually need to see the, the scene because I think, listen to it, it's cheesy. But with everything that he does, it just makes it that much fucking better. This is General Bison. Our defenses are locked onto you. Identify yourself. This is the collection agency, Bison. Your ass is six months overdue. And it's mine. 
Guile? Alive? Of course! His death was designed to ingratiate his spies with you. I guess you didn't see that, did you? This time, Colonel, you die for real. Okay, yeah, you really need to see the way that he, when he's like, didn't see them, did they? <laughs> but he's covering his eye. <laughs> he did it. It's so fucking ridiculous, but it's so fucking great at the same time. And then, of course, the of course meme is the one that uh, you see floating around everywhere, the, the gif and everything like that. It's one of my favorite things to use, too, uh, when talking about something. I always think when I want to say that, of course, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's so over the top, but it's so fucking great at the same time. So he fires upon Guile and he's just using a chain gun too. And it's doing absolutely nothing to the fucking boat. Like your defenses are weaker than your fucking radar dishes. So what does he decide to do? He calls down his little floating platform and then he gets on there. What's on the platform? A fucking arcade stick. Like the the console for the arcade board that's on top. The two sticks, they're there. And that's how he's going to fire fucking mines at him. He's not firing fucking missiles. He's not doing anything else. He's just hitting the random buttons. And in fact, he tries to do a time killer fatality by smashing all the buttons together at once, hoping that he can chop off fucking Guile's head. But it doesn't work that way. It just releases more fucking mines that he's fucking got to go through who uses mines as just a fucking order of defense against a boat that's driving hella fast on water i get it there before the boat even gets there but he's able to dodge perfectly because they're exploding as soon as they hit the crest of the fucking water so they're not even like aiming correctly he doesn't have good fucking timing if that's what he's going to do if he was a dm he's basically rolling threes the entire fucking time and then he gets lucky with one fucking 20 which takes out the fucking boat but of course guile uh cammy and t-hawk are able to get out just in fucking time and so they come up the side of the mountain and as they're going to infiltrate the base, because Bison thinks that he's killed Gal once again, he asks DJ to check on the deposit of the $20 billion, because guess what? The start of this attack was in the last, like, 20 minutes of everything that was going on, and time has run fucking out. So what have the EN, like, what have they done? Have they actually deposited the money, or are they just still giving him the giant middle finger? moments from the deadline set by general m bison for the delivery of the 20 billion dollar ransom he has demanded for the hostages reports from shadaloo itself are unclear and gnt correspondent chun li zhang has been reported missing along with her news crew we are hopeful for a peaceful solution to this crisis and we appeal to general bison in the name of humanity for gnt this is sandra van Oker. dj as the AN deposited the 20 billion in my Swiss bank. Hell no, General. So he ain't got no fucking money. He ain't got nothing. He All he has is the goddamn hostages, which now he's going to probably turn around and kill. 
we see Dalsim again for a second and he's still trying to upload all the good stuff and I guess now black weddings are a good thing and make you a good person because that's what he started to show him. It's really weird. And then he starts showing MJK as well, which is just, again, uh, MJK. No, not Manor James Keenan. I meant MLK, Martin Luther King. And that's fucking staying in there. So it's just weird. Like, I, I could understand that. But, like, the black wedding, like, if it was an interracial wedding, maybe I'd be like, okay, I get it because you're showing like world peace and everybody getting together and love and love is such a wonderful thing. But specifically two African-Americans getting married. Why? Why does that make you good? So what? If you see two other races getting married, that's going to make you evil. Like you see two Filipinos getting married and all of a sudden you want to fucking kill the rest of society. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Like, I, I don't know. I don't get it. But because they did show a white marriage earlier, too, and the white people with a kid. So it can't be whitey, <laughs> you know, and it's it's not the African-American community. So who is it? Is it Mexicans? Is that what it is? We're the evil ones? No, no, that that can't be it. We just populate too much. That's all that really fucking happens. So it's just so freaking ridiculous with Everything that's going on with Blanca. And we get some visions of Blanca, but we have not seen the worst just yet. Because he gets getting pumped with more and more muscle mass, you know. And we'll talk about that in a second, too. So we see that uh, Guile has now made it to the base with Cammy and T-Hawk. And they've slowly snuck in. And he almost falls down a shaft. But he's able to get, like, a rope to rappel down this shaft from Tammy and T-Hawk and they managed to put the end of the rope on like a little tree stump that in no way could actually hold the weight of Guile but I guess it does and then he goes down into the base and as he's walking around and because the the henchman and Dalsim got into a fight because the henchman actually saw that he was trying to change him over to be something good and he got in a fight with Dalsim and then got electrocuted by everything not by Blanca by the way, just by flying into the thing which released Blanca, and that's who Guile happens to run into when he's trying to infiltrate the base. Charlie, it's me. I'm your friend, William. 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 What have they done to you? Charlie. Me? <laughs> they done to me. Help me. Help me. I'll help you. Help me. I'll help you. And then I'll make them pay. <laughs> No. You have no right. The world thought very little of you, my dear guests. Too little to pay the pittance I asked for. Too little to even mount a decent rescue attempt. Move out! Your masters at the AN 
call me a wild beast. So be it. You do not deserve the martial dignity of a firing squad. No! You shall be killed by a wild beast. A beast born of my own genius. Raise the incubation chamber. It was Bison's scientists who warped his body. I did what I could to preserve his mind, to keep him human. You call this human? His mind retains the capacity for good. Yes, and for evil as well. Will you kill him because he has difficulty understanding the difference? Stand clear. Incubation chamber rising to command room level. The signal. The real monster's upstairs. He expects to see his creation. Stand clear. Incubation chamber rising to command room. Behold the face of your destruction and of my victory. So... There's a couple of things that are going on here that we need to talk about. First, Blanca. He looks terrible. Like, if there's all this muscle mass that's being acted to him, you would think that he would be fucking ripped. Like, this is the fucking, you know, uh, healing chamber, and he's a fucking Saiyan, and he's just going to get extra fucking muscles that's fucking Goku in there and he's building up all this stuff and he's just going to be fucking ripped when he comes out and he looks like a 90 pound fucking weakling like this is still Steve Rogers before he got the fucking serums injected into him like you expected him to be oh he's little soldier boy and he's gonna big buff fucking Blanca but all he got was fucking orange hair so Bison needs to fire his fucking scientists because the only person that did anything that was any good was Dalsim which was transform him from being an evil motherfucker to being at least a guy that can kind of tell the difference and remains sort of human. But talk like this. Like, it's f- so stupid. Like, you ruined a good, at least a decent character. I get it. Blanca was an orphan and nobody really knew what he was, but he was a great fighter. So that's why he got included in this stuff, even though he was an outcast. And in the people in Brazil, in the Amazon, wherever he fought, they still cheered for him and they still fucking loved him. But here, he's just stupid. He's worthless. Why even put him in the fucking movie? Why don't you put him where Phalong fucking is, which is nowhere. But there's the guy that's obviously like a Japanese guy that's talking and it's a little bit weird. It's weirdly dubbed almost like it's a fucking Godzilla movie. And it doesn't quite match up to what the voice that you think is actually going to come out of the guy. Like it's being mouthed and it was even worse than it was. And then they had to overdub it. And that might've been Fei Long, but he's not called Fei Long. When you look at the credits, he has some other name and it's really fucking ridiculous. Uh, the other thing is, is that the way that Guile is going to fucking save him is he's going to put a bullet in his fucking head. He spent all this time going there and trying to actually save Charlie. And then I get it. You don't want to see your best friend there as an animal. But he realizes it's you and he has a fucking conscience. At least Dalzim stops him from doing that and has been like, look, this is not the way that you should do it. You shouldn't fucking put a bullet in his head because he doesn't deserve it. It's not his fault that he was made this way. If you need anything, get revenge on fucking Bison. 
Then the last thing is, now all of a sudden, they're out of fucking time. There is no time left. He's going to finally kill all the fucking hostages because they waited forever. If you knew, if you knew wherever the fucking time was, let's say that the start of the attack, there was only two hours before everything was going to happen, and you knew you knew that you had to be there, and it took you so long to get there. So it took them like an hour and a half down the fucking river to get there to actually attack him. Wouldn't you have left earlier so that way that you can start the attack? And then, granted, they did start the attack, and Bison thought that he had won because there was only one boat that was coming after him. But wouldn't you start that much sooner and even start the other guys like going, look, we're starting our attack. Make sure you start sending the boats because we'll make sure that you guys can get fucking in. Wouldn't you do something like that so they would be right there? But they're in the slowest things fucking imaginable. So imagine it took him like an hour to get there in Superboat and the rest of everybody is not going to get there for another hour or so because they're not in super fucking stealth boat. It's so ridiculous that you didn't plan your attack well. You waited to the last possible fucking minute. I get it. You needed to find out where Bison was. But the moment that you found out where he was and you came up with a plan, you should have fucking executed. Or you should have said, look, we have to go as soon as possible. So get a decent amount of sleep. Let's get like three hours of sleep and let's get ready to go. And who knows? Maybe they did their plan at midnight and they only got five hours of sleep. But still, that seems fucking ridiculous as it is. There just isn't enough time for them to get to Bison's Plate and not have him kill the fucking relief workers. He should have already fucking killed the relief workers too, which is ridiculous. Instead, he decided, oh, I want to use fucking Blanca to do it. So they called me a wild animal? Well, you're going to be fucking killed by a wild animal. But that does fit his character, right? It fits him because he's like, look, I'm going to show them. They thought I was crazy with the super soldier thing. Now I'm going to show them what it's like, what they've unleashed, now that they haven't paid me and given me everything that I wanted. But you would think that they said, oh, we're going to go ahead and, you know, reason with him. You need to call it off. And they were relying on Guile to call M. Bison. Why didn't they fucking call M. Bison and start, like, negotiating it? And then once they actually saw that the attack was somewhat successful or was happening while everything was going down, then they could have, like, called everything back, gotten their money back from the Swiss bank account. Look, this was abating a fucking, you know, world fucking terrorist organization and you need to give us our fucking money back i'm pretty sure that the swiss bank would actually give the money back because they knew it was from m bison right i'm pretty sure that if they're gonna go after some type of world terrorist leader that has a bunch of money they seize his fucking money after he's been fucking killed or he's been fucking captured one of the two yeah I don't think that he was smart enough to be like, okay, once we get it, we're going to disperse it into like 50 million ways and can't find the money again, especially if he was being attacked. So there's so many just fucking fails on the good guy's spot, but yet Bison waits forever to fucking do it. And then when he finally does try to use Blanca, he fails. And he fails miserably because out of the pit, instead of it Blanca rising up and going to attack the refugees, who is it? It's none other than Colonel fucking Guile. And he comes out of that thing fucking gloriously. He comes out as soon as it fucking opens up. And it's got all its like spikes and stuff. I guess it's like cages so that Blanca goes right to the fucking refugees or the relief workers or whatever the fuck they're called. 
and he comes out with the biggest flying fucking kick and has managed to leap all over that and kick the M. Bison right in the fucking chest and stop everything. And it's just, it's such a dumb fucking scene, but it's so great at the same time that you're just like, yeah, go get him, get him fucking Guile. And you finally get to see Guile fight, but not for very long because he does catch up over to, you know, everybody there and tries to tell them what they need to do to get everybody out. And, of course, that causes M. Bison to freak out on what Blanca is now doing. Find Ken and Ryu and get the hostages out. Hey! Goodbye! We'll do what we can. Okay. Go. Attention all troopers. Remember that maintaining your health side benefits is your responsibility. Link has been Where's Blanca? I don't know, General. Everything's crashing. He's fighting my men. The cerebral programming. Quick, better than here. No! So, Bison has seen all the good work that Dalsim has done in terms of showing him the right thing, which he gets pissed off and punches the monitor. Before also we saw that Zangief and E-Honda have now started going to toe-to-toe with them falling through the floor and crashing into another area to fight. We also see that Kami and T-Hawk, they have started their outside raid and all the forces of the AN are finally coming across and starting to attack Bison's place. Everything is going crazy, people are on his side are dying and he realizes finally that, you know what, defeat is inevitable. Then defeat is a possibility. Very well. We shall face it together, DJ. With the stoicism of the true warrior. Battle systems are compromised. Estimated repair time, 18 months. Sayonara, Come on, buddy. Let's go. Where are you going, man? What are you, nuts? Ryu, Guile put a gun to our head. We did our part. The real soldiers are here, and we're gone. What's wrong with you, man? There's people fighting upstairs, dying upstairs. Yeah, they get paid for it. We don't. Now, you coming with me or not? Maybe before this place blows up, we can find something worthwhile. No, thanks. I already found something worthwhile. I don't understand. I know you don't. So, now you've got two different things going on, two different separations. You've got DJ leaving, and that scene with M. Bison, that's what makes that scene enjoyable, is actually DJ, and it's another reason why I like the actor and the character uh, for this movie. And you have him, like, he's there, and he's like, oh, like, DJ's his most trusted fucking guy, and he's like, we're gonna have to fight together, and DJ's like, nope, fuck you, I'm out of here, and he leaves and leaves Bison by himself. And then you hear the explosions going on outside, and then it cuts over to Ken and Ryu, and you see that they're now having a conflict where Ken is finally starting to be a little more like his character, where he's like, no, we gotta do the right thing, and this is worth fighting for. But Ken isn't necessarily there, and it's like they have to have some type of conflict between them for what's gonna ultimately happen. And Ken's like, no, I need to get the fuck out of here and get something that's worth something because I want to at least make sure that I got paid for putting my life on the line and see you the fuck out of there. So 
from here we go back and we see that Guile is fighting off against a bunch of M. Bison's troops and he's over a catwalk. And while he's on the catwalk, he runs out of ammunition and they start to approach him. So what does he do? And comedically, he pulls out a small knife. And he holds it up to him like he's fucking Crocodile Dundee. And they have a spoon and he has a knife. And, you know, he's played Knifey Spoony before. So he is pointing it at them. Then all of a sudden they start backing up. And they start, like, putting their guns up in the air. And that's when he starts, like, smiling, like, ha ha, yeah, that's right, you're afraid of me in this knife, only to find out that Cammy and the gang are right behind them, and that leads into the start of the confrontation between him and M. Bison. Son, we're pushing back the enemy, but the skirmish is on every level. Still no sign of Bison. He's probably hiding. Hiding? What do I have to fear from you, worker ants, scurrying about with their pitiful weapons, afraid of the purity of unarmed combat? Come out from behind the curtain, wizard. Let's see how pure your combat really is. Come on! So no, that's exactly what he wants! Now, T-Hog. That's what we both want, am I right? Bison, are you men enough to fight with me? Anyone who opposes me will be destroyed. Colonel, you can't! Oh yes, I can. Just take the hostages out. If I'm not topside in 15 minutes, evacuate without me. Both of you. That's an order. Move out! Troopers, out! Throw the enemy into the sea! Leave us! You have made me a happy man. Next, I'll make you a dead one. And so they ensue in battle. He kicks him back, and that's where he flexes those guns once again and makes sure to show off the American flag tattoo that he's got on the top of his bicep. Well, or on his shoulder, wherever you want to fucking say that it is. I don't fucking know. It's just right there, and he's showing his American badassness, and he's getting ready to fucking fight him, Bison. We cut back to the other dumbest fucking scene, and I know a lot of people like this fucking scene. I just... It makes me so mad, because we're, again... We've been going through, and we haven't had a super silly scene in a while. A little bit with Zangief... But it's a little light. It's not terrible. It's not like the scene with the fucking balls and stuff like that from the guns. And they're making all the poppy noises and the music gets kind of silly and everything like that. But we see fucking Honda and Zangief fighting. And then we cut back over and we see them watching it on the... Like, we see DJ. Because DJ is running into M. Bison's room. And he knows where the safe is. And he's getting another safe that supposedly has all the money in it so he can run out. And then he starts watching the monitors. And then it's fucking Zangief and E. Honda fighting over Bisonopolis. And we also see... It's, I think it's actually the Japanese guys. They're all watching it. Uh, they're looking at the cameras. DJ, I think, sees something, too, at the same time. Um, but the Japanese AN people, the guy that's supposed to be, I thought was Fei Long, but is not, 
they're looking at the screen and they're playing Godzilla fucking sounds over them fighting while they're destroying Bisonopolis. And it's just like, why? Why? It's, it's just, it's dumb. It's not needed. You have an action ending. You have a great set of scenes with Guile and fucking, you know, M. Bison that are coming up. And you have to do this silly shit right here. The other shit is very fucking silly. Don't worry. It's got really overacted lines by Raul Julia. It's, but it's fine. It's great. It's in, in its execution. It is funny and fun. This is supposed to be a funny moment. That was supposed to be serious, right? But this is supposed to be funny and it's just not fucking funny. It's just to me personally. It's just a wasted opportunity to do something so much better in this space. And I really wish they had improved upon or decided, let's just remove it and put it as like an Easter egg or a hidden ending or something like that. Or something for like, and you know, DVDs weren't really the time. So they felt like we need to put this in. But this seems like this would be like an extra scene where we saw them fighting. And I get it. Some people do think it's funny with the Godzilla noises and everything like that. I just don't know. It just doesn't make me laugh. It makes me fucking cringe is what it fucking does. So we see them fight it out in the Godzilla thing. And it's just... There's just so many fast cuts that go on with the whole thing. And it's such... Like I said, so terrible slapstick that I just can't get back and forth. We cut back over and we see that Guile... And fucking M. Bison are fighting. And I haven't seen a sonic boom yet. I haven't seen a fucking flash kick. I haven't seen anything go on. But he does like, you know, he does keep fighting with him. And they they have a good wrestle back and forth. It then cuts over to Balrog punching people. Which is what he does, right? He doesn't really do any type of kicks in the game. It's funny because he's the only character when you use the kicks, he punches with his other hand. Which is... Really neat, because he's truly just a boxer, and every move that he does, he has a couple with his legs that he does when you use the kick button, but he's not really a kick person in the game. He's pretty much just a punching guy. I don't remember if they changed it as other Street Fighters went on, but in Street Fighter 2 Turbo, that was our championship edition. That was one of the things that was funny, that everything that he did was, was basically just a punch. Kind of like with Chun-Li, where her punches are there, but they're not very strong. Um, but her kicks, because she's so focused on her legs, are like the best things that she's got in the game. And Cutbox over to Bison and Gaia fighting, and they're fighting, 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 and he finally does do the flash kick, at least. I mean, it's not the same thing. You don't see, like, the flash go on or anything like that, but you do see him do the somersault and the kick, and he manages to. You know, what you don't see, because Chun-Li doesn't really fight a whole lot, it would have been great to see her, even if it looked cheesy, to do the spinning bird kick or do the infinity leg or E. Honda to do the hundred or thousand hand slap or whatever it was, or him to do, like, the spear attack that he does. That would have been great, too, but they really didn't try to do any of the moves in this. Only some of the smallly iconic ones which just happens to be the flash kick and one other that we'll talk about in just a bit. Uh, so he does do the flash kick and he does knock him into the console eventually and fucking shocks poor M. Bison to death. But honestly, we have to think about it. Is M. Bison really dead? Is this really going to be the end of the movie? Or is there going to be just a little bit more of this fantastic performance? 
This is Gaia. Come here. Colonel, are you all right? I'm okay. I'm just half dead. And Bison? All dead. What's the situation? Fighting in every corridor, sir. What about our reserves? Have they arrived yet? The water's reinforcements are still hitting the beachhead. They have their hands full with the enemy outside the fortress. I'm afraid it could still go either way. Well, it's gonna go our way. Have our troops on the upper levels fall back and turn on the enemy. We'll trap the forces outside between both of our columns. We'll do it, Colonel. But we still haven't found the hostages yet. I've got some volunteers on it. And maybe they'll be able to help. Colonel, I didn't read the last part. Colonel, are you there? So, for some reason, you know, he's become Emperor Palpatine, and he's got fucking force lightning shooting out of his hands. Well, it's like the electricity. It's the best way that I think they could do, like, the psycho wave type stuff. It's, like, the psycho energies that he has in the games, which I'm okay with for this. And then he does kind of explain how he does it in the next couple of scenes. So... What I did for the next clip, and I'm going to talk about the Ryu and Ken parts, and then we're going to listen to only the Bison Gaia parts, because it's too much put together, and they splice them, like, every, it's like 20 seconds of one, then 20 seconds of the other, and then 20 seconds of the next, and then 20 seconds of the other, and then the final moments between Bison and Guile. And I don't want to, like, deprive you guys of the whole Guile and Bison, like, section, because... That's honestly the best part of the ending parts of the film. Uh, so you have Ken run after where DJ is. DJ gets all the money. He leaves before Ken gets there. And Ken sees that Ryu is walking into a trap with both Sagat and Vega. Right? They're basically coming down the stairs on the opposite side of him. And he's trying to yell into the telecom to let Ryu know that they're going to be there after he's grabbed like this golden idol out of Bison's room. And so he decides to take it and run downstairs. We cut over and we see that Ryu and Ken are fighting. And, well not Ryu and Ken, <laughs> Ryu and Vega and Sagat begin fighting. He starts fighting against Vega first and he's starting to win. But then all of a sudden Sagat attacks him and starts driving him back and he's not able to handle both. He does get a nice scratch from Vega on the, the stomach because he's taken off his shirt now, you know, or it's like barely hanging on or one of the two things. And so they, they fight and eventually Ken does show up and if you're going to keep things at least somewhat close to the game, and I get it. In terms of the movie, he had the fight with Vega, right? It wasn't Ken. If it was me, I would have made it the opposite. I would have thrown Ken in the fight against Vega, so that way Ken and Vega show up together and fight against each other. And then you have Sagat and Ryu. Even if it's not the same thing, at least then it would have been canonical in sense. That you would have Saget versus Ryu, right? Because you'd make like the rematch here. And there's something that Sagat says about revenge. And it's like, if you guys buried the hatchet against each other because they saved you, why do you need revenge? What do you have revenge to do now? Except for, I guess, maybe he made fools of them because, you know, they tricked and actually joined a part of the gang when that was all set up and made him look like a fool in front of them bison. So I guess maybe revenge for that is perfectly fine. So... They all fight. Eventually, Ken is able to beat <laughs> Sagat, which sucks. And I think he does do the Shoryuken. 
And we do see Ryu do the windmill kick, uh, which I can never say. It's like, Tafarash Hadouken, whatever it is. And he does the Hadouken, too. But it's more like a Go-Duken. If you know who Dan is, then you know what I'm talking about. Because it doesn't fly. It's right next to him, and it does it. Like, they try to do things like they do the moves, but they try to make everything seem realistic. In this one. So like if I'm going to throw a fireball. I'm not going to throw the Hadouken across the whole thing. I'm just going to do it really close. There's a flashlight. And then Vega is going to be defeated. And then Ken manages to beat Sagat. They, he throws the thing that he got. And so here's Sagat. At least you walk away with something. Because I found what what's worth fighting for. Or whatever fucking bullshit thing that he says. So that's the whole sequence with Ken and Ryu uh, versus Sagat and Vega. So now we're going to jump back and we're going to see or listen to all of what goes on between Guile and uh, and Bison. Now, what you have to realize is that the whole thing is, is that Bison begins beating the shit out of him. In each one of these scenes, he's the one that's got the upper hand until the very end so it's gonna fade in and out because i'm gonna fade in and out of each section rather than just it doing a weird jump but you're gonna get the whole thing between guile and m bison and one of i know pat's favorite lines in the whole freaking movie a weapon bison what happened to the purity of unarmed combat this is merely superconductor electromagnetism surely you've heard of it It levitates bullet trains from Tokyo to Osaka. It levitates my desk where I ride the saddle of the world. And it levitates me. Nothing wrong, Colonel. You come here prepared to fight a madman, and instead you found a god? Still refuse to accept my godhood. Keep your own god. In fact, this might be a good time to pray to him. For I beheld Satan as he fell from heaven like lightning. They're all fucking great lines performed with perfect overacting cheese that is fantastic first the whole thing like how they do the psycho powers in this movie it's all electromagnets right so he's able to lift himself and that's how he's doing the psycho crusher and flying across the screen because you know the move that he has in the game where you hold back forward and punch that's where he flies across the screen forward like he's fucking superman but he's doing like a drill type motion surrounded by his psycho energy so he's doing that at Guile, and he's flying back and forth and just basically punching him across the, the room. And it's it's cheesy and it's fun. Then the second line is great. You thought you'd come to fight a madman, but instead you find a god? It's so good. And then he continues to beat the shit out of Guile. And then the last one, where he's so pompous about the whole thing. And the thing is that Guile killed him, right? If it wasn't for his suit bringing him back to life, he'd be fucking dead. And he wouldn't be able to do the shit. So why didn't he bust this crap out earlier? Because he thought he was better and could beat him without his tricks. And here is the advanced fucking weaponry that he has, right? Only he has it. None of his other guys. Nobody has it. Zangief, 
fucking has his fucking big strength and him fucking fighting with fucking E Honda and E Honda is just as fucking strong as he is. And again, it's kind of cool that they gave E Honda such a, a a better role than what he has in the series because I think he's just like a sumo guy trying to prove himself or some shit. I don't fucking remember his fucking story because I don't ever fucking use him. But at least he goes toe-to-toe with Zangief, right? And Zangief is meant to just be the super strong guy that wrestled bears as a kid. That's his kind of backstory. That's it. And then you got, you know, DJ doing what he does. He's like an electronics whiz. There's no weaponry there. And then Sagat's a fucking gunrunner and doesn't really want anything to do with him anyway. And Vega still has his fucking claws. So he doesn't really have anything advanced either. Even though he's able to make some out of bamboo. Or I guess Sagat is. Uh, but he's the only one that uses advanced weaponry. None of his fucking regular dudes does anything special but use fucking guns. So why didn't he just use this right away against Guile other than it was pride because he thought he was so much better than him. And so when he finally gets the last, he tries to do the last Psycho Crusher against him or fly right at him, whichever one you want to call it. Uh, that's when Guile turns the tables on him and you see him kick, I believe you see it three times, where he kicks him and he sends him flying into the big giant screen in the background to where he dies. And it's a fucking terrible end for M. Bison. Like, this whole sequence is just... Like, if it wasn't for the lines and it wasn't for the smugness of Bison, this would be shitty. It's still shitty. It's still a shitty way for him. Like, the fight sequence of M. Bison having the upper hand is terrible. Like, as strong as that character is, and as crazy and fucking, like, full of himself, and him naming himself a warlord, and how feared he's supposed to be, he doesn't really have a whole lot. He almost got his ass fucking kicked by Chun-Li. It's the same fucking thing. So, I don't know. There really isn't anything special about Bison, other than the character and the way that he's portrayed in this movie uh, by Rahulia, right? It's just that. But if you just look at the character as a physical fighter, he's shitty. That's, that's it. And this is a terrible way for him to fucking die. He just gets electrocuted again against the fucking thing. And, that, and that's it. Then it's all about them, you know, having to escape. That's the next thing. So Guile needs to make sure that he gets his way out. And he runs into, you know, Blanca and Dalsim. And he tells him, he's like, look... You gotta come with me. We need to escape from here. And he says, no, I need to stay here. I can't leave here like this. And then Dahl seems there and there's like, he's like, no, he won't be the only one that gets buried by this place. And Guile's like, why? And he's like, well, because just because, you know, I do good things doesn't mean that I didn't turn like a blind eye to everything. Basically, he needs to atone for the sins that he did to Blanca. And even though Blanca is a good guy... He shouldn't exist, so he's going to allow himself to die, and that's very fucking stupid. And now you have everybody else, they're trying to find their way out, and of course, as they're all fighting and everything, and Ihan has got to break the thing, and you get one of these little funny moments from Zangief once again, and this is the one I think that, that stays the best in this movie, when he figures out that M. Bison was actually the bad guy. Sorry, man. Can't play no more. Dollar! Come back! 
field meltdown. Evacuate. Evacuate. All personnel proceed to main entrance level immediately. DJ! Why are you out of uniform? The enemies of peace and freedom are at our walls! Are you totally demented, man? Our boss is the enemy of freedom and peace. These people have come from all over the world to stop him. If you're smart, you'll save your own ass. General Bison, he's a bad guy. If you know this, then why do you serve him? Because he paid me a freaking fortune, you moron. You got paid? So... That's basically Zangief's character in a nutshell. And so they're all trying to escape. They see one of the doors. It's almost about to close on them. And Zangief runs over. And then he becomes the good guy by pushing it up and allowing everybody to leave. And the whole place is just exploding. And they all manage to make it alive. We see that everybody's there except for Guile. And everybody's getting out of the thing. They're arresting all of Bison's men. And then all of the characters of the film, minus Guile, Blanca, M. Bison, and Dalsim, are all there. And they're all putting their heads down. And nobody knew about Dalsim and Blanca except for Guile. So they don't really mourn those two, like, at all. But they do mourn Guile. And, of course, we get a ending where, is he dead? Is he not dead? But of course, you know who's got to survive, and then we're going to roll the final credits. He was a brave man. A true warrior. He told us to leave. We did the right thing. Well, it still feels pretty wrong to me. Lieutenant, make a note. I need a vacation. Yes, sir. Uh, take us, sir. On the way out. <laughs> I guess you've earned your passports back. You can hang on to them. Somebody's going to have to help put this country back together. Maybe a couple of hustlers can help. Ever think of uh, enlisting? Oh, no, 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 How about that interview for my network? Sure. But only if you wear that dress. Good morning, Sean. 
Chattaloo, bonjour, guten tag, ohio, and salam, not to mention Hoji Naboy. Now, it's time once again for the Good Morning Chattaloo Pop Quiz. Do you know what it says on the bottom of Coke bottles in Bison's Army? Eh. Answer, it says open other end. So that was Street Fighter, and there's probably plenty of other things that I've missed along talking, just little things here or there, like specifically there are two things, this Good Morning Shadaloo guy that they're trying to make fun or mimic Good Morning Vietnam, and it just doesn't really work, it's really dumb. Uh, there's one or two earlier on in the fucking movie, and I didn't decide to play them. I just wanted to play the little one at the end. And then there's the one scene in the boat that I didn't talk about. And just like you can hear with the music, like, that doesn't work for fucking ending music at all. You would think that they would do something more triumphant. Instead, it sounds really fucking, like, slow and drawn out. And it sounds like it's fucking Tina Turner fucking singing to you. And does that really belong in a Street Fighter movie? No. There's the scene with the fucking boat as they're starting to take off to go and attack it. And they're playing this shitty fucking music that's just like that as the attack on fucking Shadowloo. And you see, and I think it's it's perfect for a stupid joke. If you're gonna do a stupid joke, it would be great. Where Guile takes out the this tape and you think, oh... It's a tape that he's going to switch the music for. And it looks like a fucking cassette tape. But no, it's a videotape. It's a little cassette videotape that shows him and fucking Charlie on a date with two fucking floozies. That's it. Like, he looks at his memories as he's going to save fucking Charlie. And you're like, what? So this is the music that you're going to play while you're doing that? I get it if you take the full screen of the thing and not watching it on the little thing and you're going through. Maybe it's a memory type thing. You fucking do it. But you don't need to do it in that scene. It would have been better if he had just put in the music and maybe it was something that connected him to Charlie and he started having memories of it. But no, we need to watch the video of him and Charlie that he has that somebody was taking a video of them being on a date, or this was Guile doing it, because it looks like he sets it up, and then goes and sits fucking down, and starts doing that. It's just, it's so fucking stupid that, why? Why do we need to put this in here? I get it, you're doing it for Charlie, but the music doesn't match this, like, supposedly epic assault on fucking Shadaloo, and here you go, having... It's like, come on, guys. Really? You could have done a little better with the music. And even in some of the other fight scenes where they're using random things, or like the yard fight, and they're using that weird hip-hop song, uh, or the, sorry, the escape. And it just doesn't quite match what's going on and the agency and urgency of them trying to escape from the whole thing to get away from the AN guards as they're setting up this plan to get inside Bison's place. So, (laughs) ultimately, do I like the film? Yes, I do. I may have talked a lot of crap, but it's mostly me finding the... There's terrible things in this film. And the movie itself is bad, but it's so bad that it's fun. 
Like, I had a ton of fun still watching this again and remembering going through the scenes. And honestly, if it wasn't for Raul Julia or Raul Julia or however you want to fucking say his name, it's not that good. Van Damme is not very good in this. Like, I know this is the hype Van Damme and this is probably, like, the top role, if you want to say, in terms of him being in American cinema. Of course, you could say that there are a lot of other movies, whatever the hockey movie that he was in, I always fucking forget. Um, but, you know, or maybe you say it was Time Cop. Or maybe that, you know, you're a Kumite guy and it's Bloodsport. Whichever one that you say, I mean, it's not that he's not a terrible actor, it's just that he's just terrible for this role. You could have gotten a no-name person to be Guile, and I think it would be a lot better, because you spent most of your money on him and Raul, and honestly, it sucks that this happens to be Raul Julia's last movie, but at the same time, it's one of my favorite roles of him right next to the Adams Family. I love both Adams Family movies so much, and that made me so excited when I found out him that he was going to be M. Bison. I love Kiss of the Spider Woman. He is he is unfucking believable in that movie. And if you've never seen that movie, please go and watch it just for his performance. He's a wonderful fucking actor. And it sucks that we lost him at this point in time. And I really wish there could have been more films with him. And it's great that he took it as serious as he did in this movie. And I, I appreciate what that role was. And how he handled a video game movie. Or uh, basically kind of like a kid's movie. Because there are some people where you're just like, uh, like, why are they doing this? They can't believe Like, If you look at um, the Transformers movie... Uh, the animated one, the first one, where, you know, Optimus Prime dies. Spoiler word. Uh, but, you know, the guy that plays uh, Omnicron, or whatever his name is, Unicron. I'm sorry, not Omnicron. I'm losing Star Wars, the movie credit here. Uh, Unicron was Orson Welles, and was one of his last voice acted, or just movies in general. And he phones that shit in. He completely phones that shit in. And it sucks that he did that. I guess he's a robot and you kind of let him get away with it. But some of the lines are terrible the way that he does it. But everybody else in the movie gives 110%. Even Leonard Nimoy does a great job in that. Uh, You know, and it's just... It's still a fun movie. And this... It would be the exact opposite because I really don't feel that everybody gave their all. Some of them did. Some of them were kind of new onto the scene too. Ming-Na, this is basically her first like English, full English language only role. And I think she does a decent job in this movie. She definitely sounds better as the movie goes along than in the beginning. But Guile and Van Damme seems to slowly degrade after... (laughs) Every scene that he's in. And when he has to be the main focus for the full scene, it's fucking terrible. So, if I'm going to rate this film like I always do, uh, what would I give this film? Well, since I don't give zeros out, it's going to have to be a 1 out of 5 for the gore. And I'm just going to say it's for uh, the acting performance of John claude Van Damme here. Um, he's just It's just terrible that it makes me want to gouge my eyes out at times. Um the crap factor it's a four out of five like it's just crappy from what they did with the story and how they changed the characters making it more centered on fucking uh guile than anybody else 
Like I said, if you want a really good that keeps with the lore of Street Fighter, watch the Street Fighter animated movie that was done around the same time with a killer fucking soundtrack as well. And the music that actually matches the fighting scenes. And the fighting scenes are so fucking intense in that movie that, like I said, that Chun-Li versus Vega scene in that film is so good. And there's a great scene with Ryu towards the end of the movie with Akuma that is really, really good as well. Uh, or was it Bison for that one? I think it was the same idea where they were trying to bring Akuma out. Um, if if I'm not mistaken, it might not be, but um, it, that might be something else I'm thinking about. But I remember there's be some really good fight scenes towards the end of the movie as well, and it's worth your time to see that movie if you're interested in Street Fighter movies. Um, so that's why I give the crap factor a four out of five because it's just all over the place. You know, it it really is bad in some scenes, and I just don't like the music choices. I don't like how they set certain songs in certain areas, but I do like, like I said, I like the sound design in certain scenes, and I like the orchestral soundtrack for this movie. I think when they use it right, it's done in a very excellent way. And and that one scene, like I said, with Bisonopolis, I think that's the pinnacle scene that's just a good scene as a whole how it's shot, how the audio sounds, how the music works with it, the acting for the scene. Everything just fits really well, and it's a really well-done scene. If you were to dive further into it, you can get a lot out of that scene. And it's Pinnacle Bison, but the Chun-Li Bison scenes together are so well-crafted as well. And the set design in the movie is pretty good, too. I love Bison's room. I think the way that set was designed is great. I just feel that you can't just expect a couple little small scenes like that to make the overall movie really good. You're missing Fei Long. You have some characters that you don't even need to be in there or be used. You could just focus this movie on one or two. You could focus the movie with Guile, Chun-Li, M. Bison, Zangief, DJ. You could just use those five. You don't need Canon Ryu. You don't need Sagat and Vega. They could still be in it because those are the ones that you mainly focus on. You don't even need Zangief, really. He could be just thrown out of the way because he's mostly just comic relief. But you just change certain characters so much. Sagat is not just a gun runner, you know, but Vega is kind of what Vega is, so they kind of nailed him. And you could have just thrown Dalsim and fucking Blanca out the fucking window. Why did you need to change him to be some type of fucking experiment? And why wouldn't you even, like, get Dalsim into a fight? And he doesn't even lose his hair until the final moments of the fucking scene. He's not bald the whole time, then all of a sudden, he shows up fucking bald after he's been inside, like, the explosion. Like, they burnt off everything on his body or some shit. It's so weird, and the only reason he has the stuff around his neck is because it's like the shackles that he had, and not the fucking, you know, uh, jewelry that he was wearing all the time because of his religion. Like, why would you change those types of things? It just seems really weird. You don't have to do, like, the arm stretching and shit like that, and the leg stretching, but you could do other aspects of him fighting, and it would be better. Instead of just making him a passive NPC for the whole fucking movie. Um... The fun factor, though, I would give the fun factor in this, I would also give it a 4 out of 5. I think that, uh, you know, originally I thought 3 out of 5 because it's not, it's totally just all for Rahulia. He's so good, and that character is so well done that every time he's on the scene, the movie doesn't deserve him. I will tell you that right now. It does not deserve him in this movie, because without him, 
it's a the fun factor is like a two out of five. With him, it's a four out of five because it's just it makes it fun and it makes it enjoyable and he's in a lot of it, so it's good. He's in it more than fucking uh, Van Damme is as Guile. I mean. He's got tons of better scenes. And even in the scenes where it is the two of them together in the final fight, he's still way better. And I'm actually rooting for him to win. So overall, I'm going to give this a total of three out of five bison bucks. Uh, I think that it's fun. I think that if you really just go into it expecting nothing and just wanting something to be so bad it's good, it's a good ride. You won't figure out what a street fighter is. And in fact, there are no fighting on any streets. Uh, and the story is totally irrelevant to the actual gaming series, uh, but I still think that you would get a lot of enjoyment out of it, and ultimately, this would be something that, you know, if you had kids that were within the range and you want to watch something fun with them, that they're going to get a laugh out of and maybe be excited about some of the action scenes that are in the movie, and you want to just to see it for what it is, I think that you could totally watch it with them and you'd be totally happy and uh, I think they would be happy too, as long as they're within the range and you don't mind some of the language, just a couple little things here or there, and you don't mind them seeing somebody get shot in the head, even though there's no blood. So, <laughs> warning right there. Uh, so, with that being said, uh, and how much that I do enjoy this movie, I don't want to seem like I just hate this movie, but I really do enjoy it. And I decided, you know, we're going to move on and we're going to do something that is a little more horror themed in terms of the violence that is there. And if you haven't guessed it already, I'm pretty sure the trailer is going to tell you what we're doing next. And it's going to tell you multiple times. of us there burns the fury of a warrior in every generation a few are chosen to prove it one of you three will decide the outcome of the tournament three strangers will travel to the mystical realm of outworld to defend our people against shang song you will and his forces of darkness in an ancient tournament. One more victory. Your soul is mine. And our world no! is theirs. It has begun. Combat begins. 
So originally that actually says combat begins in 95. So this came out a little, I think a little over, a little under a year. Basically this, the following year from when Street Fighter was released, because of the popularity that Street Fighter did have, it was a success. I'm going to tell you that out right now. It's not like the movie was a complete and utter bomb and failure. In fact, the movie itself actually only had a budget of $35 million. And for what they were able to do, that's not pretty bad at all. And it made a box office of $99.4 million. So it definitely made its money back, plus then some. I mean, it wasn't a complete and utter success, but it was enough at the time to greenlight the Mortal Kombat movie, especially with how, like popular Mortal Kombat got and I want to say that the Mortal Kombat movie came out about the time that MK2 came out around that same time so there was a lot of hype around that as well and it is the movie like again there's three different stages there's this one the so bad it's good and I really like it because of one performance and it doesn't get the role right then there's Mortal Kombat right where as a kid, I think I've seen that movie the most. I've seen it a ton of times. And I'm excited to watch it again because I still really like it. And it does have a little more of like a horror-ish theme. And it actually has a couple scenes that I would say are kind of horror-related. Um, so that way it gives me an excuse to do the movie um, in a way. And like Street Fighter, why am I even doing this one? But nonetheless, it still is a lot of fun. Um to me personally and i don't know how you guys feel about it but i'm looking forward and being really excited uh to talk about that with you guys so the next episode it is mortal kombat it's available on a bunch of different platforms to rent i'm pretty sure if you looked hard enough uh there probably would be the full movie out there somewhere that you could watch i wish that i had that information in front of me i think one of the networks like hbo or stars or showtime has it so if you're subscribed to one of those you can actually watch it uh through a lot of the different apps um i think it might be coming out soon on netflix uh and so you can watch it on netflix i think they're gonna have um this and the other one available for for you to watch um yeah uh, or if you just want a really quick recap with some funny uh notations about it check out the cinemasins uh, they do one for this, and they did one for Annihilation as well. That gives you the whole movie while making fun, kind of like what I do, but they're like bite-sides, 20-minute things. Um, and they're actually really good, and that's available on YouTube. Um, shout out to them, even though um, <laughs> they don't know who the fuck I am. So, <laughs> there's a lot of people, I wish I, they knew who the fuck I was, but that's just the way that the cookie crumbles, I guess. But, um so I do thank you guys for listening to this episode, even though it's not horror based. If you guys are listening to it, I really, really do appreciate it. And I know that it's long because I'm looking at the time that it's going through and uh, I will try to keep the next episode a little bit shorter than possible. But there's a lot of stuff in this one I just had to talk about. So uh, don't forget uh, that uh, the Terrible Terror podcast is now part of the slightly irregular podcast network. That includes uh, different podcasts such as the Back in Time podcast, Five Fave from Fans, the Angry Dead podcast, Paranormal Pativity, Dead Hen Radio. Of course, the podcast from Another World, which is on the same feed as this one. Uh, and we have our friends also over there in Cadavercast, uh, as well as From the Wastes, which is Evan. It does a podcast kind of when he 
feels like he needs to put out an episode, which is great. Um, you know, I know he doesn't do a whole lot, but when he does it, it's very high quality stuff. So please make sure you go check it out. And if there's anybody that I'm forgetting, I'm terribly sorry because my mind sometimes goes to mush at the end of a podcast. Um, but, uh, like I said, you might be hearing some episodes with people from the network actually coming on to the podcast as well as we move forward and try to expand it. You can find it right now. We have a very simple website, which is sipnetwork.us. So go check it out right now. There's not a whole lot. There's also SIP Network on Instagram that you can follow, uh, as well as hopefully, I don't think anybody set up the Twitter account just yet, but we'll have uh, a Twitter account that we'll be posting stuff through at the same time. And as always, please make sure that you check out the Terrible Terror podcast. We're out there on Facebook, uh, the Terrible Terror podcast. We are out there on Twitter at T underscore T underscore podcast. We're available on YouTube, Terrible Terror Podcast. And we're available on, you know, all other types of networks. Rate and review, please. It does help the podcast be found. Uh, and just let me know what you'd like to hear. Uh, Terrible Terror Podcast at gmail.com. As always, I really do appreciate you guys listening to this little podcast. And I hope everybody's safe and healthy. I'll see you next time.